Blog Talk Radio. Use the 
man, they so soft. Don't be thrown off any Zolar. Avoid them at all costs, like raccoons or skunks. But back to the regular scheduled program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of those meditation portals and elevated walk tools. Even some abort tools. Any questions, comments, or concerns, press one. For everyone else, thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly, courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are. Peace, peace, peace. Peace to you and yours. Peace to you and yours. This is Know the Ledge Radio, and you are now rocking with the best. Yes, indeed. This is your host, Brother Blue Pill. Okay, I'm very soon to be joined by my co-hosts. That's plural. All right, that would be Brother Red and KT the Arch Degree. All right, welcome everybody back to another dynamic episode of Know the Ledge Radio, okay? Um, first and foremost, we want to thank everybody that joined us this past Tuesday for our show, Ether on the Horizon, featuring Brother Hashar and Brother Daniela uh, from the Hebrew War Machine. They will be live in the building this Sunday in Brooklyn, New York, Nicholas, Brooklyn, at 7 p.m., um, immediately following presentation that will be held in Harlem featuring tonight's guest, Dr. Frances Cress Wilson. Okay. So she will be in the building. All right. I'm going to get that information for you in a heartbeat. Okay. Or a few heartbeats for that matter. All right, family. So we are praying hope that everybody has joined us in optimum health. Uh, that being physically and mentally tonight, spiritually as well, okay, because we're definitely going to take a journey. All right, this is a show that has been long in the making. I have an opportunity to scratch another thing off my bucket list, you know, my uh, my radio bucket list. This is definitely one that um, I've been looking forward to all my life, okay? I, like many other people that I know, um, came into contact with the sister's phenomenal work at a young age, and it changed my life. Gave me a totally new perspective and a new language, a new narrative, for that matter, on um, so many things, you know what I'm saying? A new direction, a new approach, a new mentality not only as to how I'm seeing the outside world, but now how I go out there and deal with the outside world, okay? I had an entirely new tool set from which to build and construct a new reality. And I, like myself, like many others, we attribute that to the information we were able to glean from the ISIS papers, okay, authored by Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. So we are internally grateful 
And um, tonight is a dream come true. You know? So I'm always thankful when we can um, share that experience with others. You know what I'm saying? When we can extend also those experiences to others as well. Because I know that there are people that are sitting in the in, in, in the building tonight that are listening, that are calling in, that share these sentiments, you know, that I wanted to not only hear the sister live, but also, you know, share their sentiments, ask questions of the sister as well. And for the family that have always longed to want to see her in public, all right, such as myself as well. That opportunity will be here this Sunday, all right, when she appears in Harlem, New York. Also know that in May, May 23rd, I believe, she's going to be in Atlanta, all right, alongside um, Professor Griff and Zaza Ali. All right, uh, I believe the name of that lecture is The Divine Goddess. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to get you some information pertaining to that as well. All right, but let me go and see. Okay, my co-host is in the building. All right, let's open up the line. Call it from 347-650. Peace. Peace, peace, peace to the family, peace to the family. Welcome to Know the Ledge Radio. This is your co-host, the Brother Redfield, reporting live and direct. Good. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, I have expressed myself. Uh, I spoke very freely about what tonight's episode means to me. I don't know if you want to share any of your experiences or any of your anticipation? I mean, I, I would only be mimicking the same thing that you said, so I would say everything that you said. You know, you eloquently put it out there about the um, anticipation and the impact that uh, Sister's work had on um, you and me the same in my early stages of consciousness, you know. That was definitely... Yeah, yeah this, this, this was, this was a... Uh, right. Yeah. This was a shared awakening, like, yeah, you know, I read the book, I passed it to Red, you know, Red read it, passed it back, you know what I'm saying, we was going back and forth with the information, and it was helping to chip away, you know what I'm saying, on on some of the areas that uh, might have been semi-calcified, you know. She, um, like I said, she, she lent us a new narrative, and we were able to see things exactly for what they were, and, you know, I think the family as a collective had an opportunity in this past calendar year, you know, to really see her work come to life, you know what I'm saying, with a lot of the things that we have seen in the media play out and and the way that we've seen them play out and the examples, the priceless examples, you know what I'm saying, of how the system of, quote-unquote, racism or white supremacy um you know, response to uh, uh, black superiority, you know. You know, that would be a Moorish dominance for my Moorish Latin-inclined brothers and sisters out there. But yes, indeed, 
So we have an opportunity to get some of that perspective, um, some of that fresh perspective from tonight's guest. And this is a continuation of some bucket list experiences that I have partaken in these last few days. If you would allow me to, family, I just want to share an experience with you um, that I had yesterday. It was totally unexpected. Uh, I lodged into the Facebook to do some posts and promote tonight's episode because, you know, I've been falling back on social media, so I haven't really been on the networks like that as of, as of much, but I checked in yesterday, okay, to, uh, you know, push some info, and in the process of me checking in, I saw an advertisement, an advertisement for a show yesterday, an upcoming show that our brother Hank Rising son and Lester Loving over at the um, Magnets, Crystals, and Pyramids show. Okay, that was the show that we launched right here on No Delege Radio. Shout out to Lester Loving. Shout out to our brother Hank Rising son. They did a show yesterday where they were interviewing Credo Mutua, okay? And for those not familiar with our brother Credo Mutua, I'll spell his name so you can Google him or go to YouTube and familiarize yourself after tonight's episode. C-R-E-D-O-M-U-T-W-A. Okay, it's the doctor on the other line. Give me one second, please. Yeah, family. Um, Credo, like the brother said, C R E D O, Mutua. I believe it's M T W A U W. I'm not sure. Put it in Google. The brother will come up. Uh, he's a South yes. African shaman and also a yes, historian. Yes. Yeah. Can you give a yes, correct indeed. spelling on the last name? I. I, I I attempted to spell it. M- I'm not M- yes. correct. M- M-U-T-W-A. M-U-T-W-A. Let me open up KT's line real quick because Dr. Francis Crest just called me on the other line, and she's kind of ready to come in there and do her thing, so we got to speed this oh, let's up. let's go. But, yeah, let's go. Yeah. I just want to make one. I, I had, hold on. I had an opportunity to speak to Brother Credo Mutua and, like, semi-lightweight interview him yesterday. You know what I'm saying? I was co-hosting with our brother Hank Rising son. It was a fabulous opportunity. I got to scratch it off the bucket list. The brother will be coming on Know the Ledge Radio very soon. He has a pertinent inf- uh, message for the world, but particularly for the family over here that he wants to share. It was an exhilarating experience. You know what I'm saying? I cannot tell you enough family that I've dreamt of uh, a situation like that many a nights. You know, my spirit has told me on plenty of occasions, like, yo, we got to gotta highlight that, brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't let him check into the realm of the ancestors and you don't get a chance to, to reach out or speak to him. And it was it was done via the ether waves, you know what I'm saying, by way of our brother Hank Rogers' son and Lester Lovin. They got the same message from the spirit realm. They followed through and they made it happen. So I want to shout them out. Okay. You said you got to make an announcement. Please make it. 
Yeah, I just wanted to uh, share with the family that next Saturday we're going to be in Philadelphia doing part two of the uh, presentation that we did at the uh, York House with our brother Seth and Rob, Tashari Bay, and the rest of the family out there. So for the Philadelphia fam, yeah, part two um, of that powerful presentation that um, I think that I'm going to be uploading to Know the Ledge uh, YouTube channel, the first, the whole first part, just for the family, so they could get that information. You know what I'm saying? You know, put it out there. Let it yeah, they need, that. they need that. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna make that happen. Made the process. That. that was powerful, powerful, mm-hmm. impactful, plentiful presentation. You know what I'm saying? So and then definitely look what, forward yeah, to uh, the cherry that I was actually looking for came popped up the other day with the rendition site, the black site in Chicago that, that put everything in um, full perspective. So, you know, we, uh, we're going to, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. They're putting them savages in the cell in the uh, in black site prisons, you know, just to show, okay. You know, uh, ultimately that, uh, you know, they are definitely carrying out their, their agenda. Got you. But let's Got not, you, brother. Yeah. Let's, yeah. yeah. Keep, Brother KT the arch degree. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Yes indeed. Do you want to do the honors by reading the description? No, y'all y'all could go ahead and read the description. Because I don't I okay. don't have it right in front of me. I know you got it right in front of you. <laughs> yes, join Nolan Ledge Radios. You welcome the mighty matriarch for the very first time, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. As a renowned psychiatrist specializing in the root cause of extreme racism against the African people of the world, Crest postulates in the Crest theory of color confrontation that white supremacy is due, in fact, to the numerical inadequacy and genetic deficiency of the Caucasian race. For over 50 years, Dr. Wilson has contributed to the justice of melanated individuals authoring the ISIS papers, The Keys to the Colors. In her initial appearance with us, she will prepare us for her powerful lecture for the, for the symposium series at Tom Mary Temple with a presentation entitled The System of Racism, White Supremacy, and a Scientific Black Agenda. In this groundbreaking discussion, she will explore the movements necessary for Africans to embrace the innate genetic superiority we possess, thus removing the restraints and dependence of the current structure. The age-old tradition continues as the elder brings forth the word. May you see the value in this divine opportunity and be ready to receive. Okay, those beautiful words have been prepared, furnished, and provided by our brother, KT, the arts degree. All right, family? Uh, There it is. Thank you, brother. Yes, yes, the Divine Elder will be at Tom Mary Temple on Sunday, March 1st, 2 p.m. at um, 104106 East 126th Street between Park and Lexington. Yes, pardon self. Yep. Hello, Dr. Welsing speaking. Yes, greetings, good evening, welcome to Know the Ledge Radio, Dr. Welson. Thank you. Absolutely. It is an honor to have you here. Um, I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, my brother, Red Pill. 
and my other brother, KT the Arsh, agree. Are you in the building? Brothers, do you hear us? Yes, I'm I'm definitely here. Yes, we're here. Wanna say yes, greetings indeed. to Doctor Wilson, to honor, and welcome to Know the Ledge Radio. Yes, greetings. Parent our audience, we told them that you will be appearing this Sunday in Harlem at the Tamari Temple and your lecture will be um the system of racism, white supremacy and a scientific black agenda. We also spoke about the contributions that you have made vicariously to our lives and what we've been able to glean from your work through the years, you know, by us reading your books and your phenomenal works and what have you, and seeing these very things play out in our lives. Um, And in particular, what I was also pointing out to the audience was, you know, the number of events that we witnessed last year that kind of like brought your works to the forefront, you know, Mm-hmm. Would you care to um, speak on, as the author herself, you know, how you have seen some of these upticks in society, you know, start playing out and just the avalanche of events that we have witnessed as of lately? Well, uh, maybe I can begin in this way, that my work is related to uh, racism, white supremacy. I don't know how many people in your audience are familiar with the work of Neely Fuller Jr., who uh, yes. wrote the textbook for victims of racism. That's a short title. And I was a psychiatrist in training looking for the answers to what was making black people mentally ill. And seeing racism uh, taking histories on psychiatric patients and seeing the face of racism in black people's lives, uh, I was determined to have a deeper understanding of racism. And at that point, around that time, I met uh, Neely Fuller, who I say is a genius of the 20th century because he had started writing about racism in the 1950s and determined that uh, racism was a total system structure for maintaining the power equation of white power over a relative non-white powerlessness. And I just thought that was, I mean, that's just in brief in that the system covered all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. Uh, So to make a long story shorter, I just started wondering, well, what would make a group of people decide to set up such a system on this particular planet? And I looked at some of the things that the people who classify themselves as white, you know, they would talk about black people being genetically inferior, and they would talk about black people's color being bad, and and that blacks were a minority, or people of color were a minority. Well, I was a physician at that time, uh, training in psychiatry, and I certainly knew from all the reading that I had done that White people were the minority, 
that they were genetic recessive compared to black people in terms of skin coloration and black people were not genetically inferior to them. And so I put that together and realized that uh, white people could be genetically annihilated if you take the entire planet. And once they found out around the 15th century that everywhere on the planet there were colored people, the only white people were in Europe, and that if the men had sex with the women, the colored women, and they waited nine months, the children always looked like the parent, like the mother. So I say white people begin to understand that they could be genetically annihilated, and because they didn't want to be genetically annihilated, they realized that they had to control the people of color. Well, people of color were not thinking about things in this way at all. They didn't have to worry about their genetic survival. They didn't have to worry about being a minority. And so white people and people of color were on completely different wavelengths. And the people who classify themselves as white, their activity from the 15th century forward was to gain domination over the people of color for, I maintain, for their genetic survival. Uh, and black people were the people they had to concern themselves most with because black people had the greatest genetic potential to cause white genetic annihilation. And for those of your audience that may not be that familiar with genetics, just think about President Obama. His mother was white, his father was black. Black is a genetically dominant trait. White is a genetic recessive trait. And so President Obama's a black man. There's no way that he would have turned out to be a white person. Uh, So I say that this is fundamental. And black people learn, I say black people learn, people of color, all the people on the planet who have been exposed to white people, and that's all of them, learn if you're black, get back, brown, stick around, yellow, mellow, white, right. I mean, they just learn that. I remember growing up in Chicago, and the kids would say that. You know, very young children, you would hear that. And nobody ever realized until I wrote the Crest Theory that uh, that's the color code for white genetic survival. In other words, the more color you have, the greater the threat. Indeed. And so... I say that now we are in a position to have a scientific understanding of what it is that we're dealing with as opposed to just an emotional response to the pain that white people practicing white supremacy cause black people. Do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) That it puts it at another level. And I say this is why black people greet each other by saying, hey, what's happening? Because... We were lied to and deceived until we were in a democracy. And we keep looking for everybody being treated equally. And it it never happens. And indeed it can't happen. Uh, As a matter of fact, white people are not equal to black people because white people don't have the genetic potential to produce color. So black people, right. you know, in this twisted way that we were taught, 
uh, about being in a democracy and, you know, all the negative things that we were taught to think about ourselves, which turn out to be projections. It's really white people who are the minority and white people who are worried about how they look because they don't have color, which is why they suntan. But, again, now I say that we are in a position to understand the thinking of the people who classify themselves as white. And if we really understand, then we would not ever again be anticipating that the people who classify themselves as white can treat us any differently than what they're doing because they are on a survival mission for themselves. And we cannot anticipate that they will commit uh, genetic suicide. You know, that wouldn't be logical, right? And so... Rodney King, you know, Rodney King, can't we all just get along, which, and Dr. Martin Luther King, those are, you know, wonderful sentiments if everybody could love. But if, you know, in Dr. Martin Luther King's terms, if everybody loved, and that was ultimately expressed in sexual activity, white would disappear. Right. And so that can't possibly be the answer. Uh, The same is true with Rodney King. Can't we all just get along? Then people who classify themselves as white would, you know, have high anxiety about their genetic annihilation, which is why they say you don't want to be caught behind the eight ball. The eight ball referring to the testicles of the black man. See, if you were caught behind the eight ball, that means that black has more power than white. I mean, this is what's right, played out that. in the game of pool or billards. And we can see Indeed. right in front of us how they are treating President Obama. Do you see? I oh. mean, it's just 24-7 nonstop demeanment. He can't do anything right, right. and and what's really going on, it's it's not, you know, Obamacare or anything else, or that he's usurping the power of the Congress. What the anxiety and the fear that the white people won't look in the mirror and face is that, you know, here's a black man in charge, he has a high-level intelligence, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, he's in charge. Well, they just go berserk. You know, you can't tell us what, I mean, this is essentially what I say the Congress is saying. You can't yeah, tell I us mean, what to do. Yes. Indeed. So and everything I would, that you speak of, it's on Front I'm sorry, Street, I'm by sorry. the way, that uh-huh. they're, no, I'm saying that the, the premise that you have set forth in your book, like I said, I think that we have been able to witness it, you know, in the front row seat by seeing how they're dealing with the quote-unquote president of the United States. There's a very antagonistic attitude, not necessarily towards his politics, but just his appearance and his semblance of power. That is threatening within itself, and they have to do everything necessary to tear that apart, you know, 
even trying to convince themselves by saying, you know, but he's not a black man. He has a white mother. And they're like, no, look, that's a black man. You know what I'm saying? It's, he's it's good enough. <laughs> it's good enough to be threatening, you know, because they understand at the core what they're threatened by and at the core what they're threatened by is the genetics. See, so I think that, that, that uh, my thought is that uh, the white people have very low-level conscious insight. Do, do you see? I mean, in other words, they know that they're supposed to be angry uh, at black people and black men in particular, uh, but they can't look at why. You see, if they looked at the why, then they would have to be conscious. I mean, now it's in their subconscious, but they would have yes. to be conscious on an everyday basis. We are a tiny minority on the planet, and we are genetic recessive, and we are mutations from black people. Do you see, if they were really, you know, if they had high confidence in themselves and they could face that reality, about themselves, but they actually, you know, right. like the whole concept of being superior is a sham. It's and a they sham. don't really so deep at, down inside feel confident about themselves. Right. So we're looking at somebody who constantly has to suppress their innate knowledge of their inferiority because if they were to look in the mirror, like you said, and deal with it, then this would be something that would be at the forefront of their consciousness and they wouldn't be able to hide it as much? Well, you see, they would just have to face that everything that they have pretended to be true is not true. Right. Do you see, and that they, in their attempt to uh, deceive and control everybody else on the planet, they end up deceiving themselves. And that mm-hmm. interferes with their functioning. Now, that doesn't mean, in other words, do they have a power apparatus that dominates the planet? Yes. Can they blow up the planet tomorrow if they decided? Yes. Do you see, I mean, in other words, the only power that could stop them is the power force in the universe itself, whether somebody calls it God or whatever. Do you see, like I say, all the snow that was up in in New England and even the yes. snow that paralyzed Washington, D.C. <laughs> Do you see, I say that that's the real white supremacy that's not <laughs> in in control of the people who classify themselves as white and it can bring them to a standstill. Yes. But yes. aside from that acting, it could cripple them, right? Do you see? So I want, you know, my effort. I would just like black people to really begin to understand exactly and precisely what racism is, and exactly and precisely how it works. Neely Fuller says if you do not understand white supremacy racism, what it is and exactly how it works, everything else that you think you understand will only confuse you. 
and I'm the only person that has a one-paragraph definition of racism. And let me just let me just read it because I say that it is precise and comprehensive. Uh, I say that racism, white supremacy, is a local and global power system and dynamic structured and maintained by persons who classify themselves as white, whether consciously or subconsciously determined, which consists of patterns of perception, logic, symbol formation, thought, speech, action, and emotional response as conducted simultaneously in all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war, for the ultimate purpose of white genetic survival and to prevent white genetic annihilation on planet Earth, a planet upon which the vast and overwhelming majority of people are classified as non-white, meaning black, brown, red, and yellow, by white-skinned people, and all of the non-white people are genetically dominant in terms of skin coloration to the genetic recessive white-skinned people. Now, I would be the happiest person in the universe (laughs) if tomorrow morning everybody had that locked into their thinking. Do you see? So we don't right. have to ask why did they do that. Do you see? We would, from that definition, we would be able to understand Ferguson, Staten Island, all the lynching and castration of black men, all of this pervasive need to kill. Do you see? All of this obsession with guns. See, the gun is the substitute male genitalia that cannot produce color. It's almost like their computer, brain computer says, black man has weapon, can annihilate me. Must create weapon, mm-hmm. can do same thing. Do yes. That? And that's the gun. And the gun, they call the gun the great equalizer. They call themselves yes, sons of guns. So this is, I, mm. this is all subconscious. You see what I'm saying? Where, they make reference to it, but if they're confronted with it consciously, I mean, I've had white people say, oh, I never thought about it like that. Because racism, white supremacy, and which is the behavior that they've structured for their genetic survival, that's not what they want to think about. They want to think about their Democrats or, you know, democracy and freedom and on and on and on. But that's not, you know, that's not true, and that's not really what they do. But if black people begin to respect themselves, and like I say, we can't really have self-respect until we understand and are willing to face what's harming us. See, right. we're being harmed and we're being destroyed, and we just want to laugh and clown. <laughs> And we don't want to look at it and, you know, make up our minds, wait a minute, this is not correct. This has this Indeed. has to stop. This has to be changed. And so all eyes are focused on, you know, what the problem is. And people's self-respect leads them to be willing to 
engage in the behaviors that will replace racism, white supremacy with justice. Like I said, during the civil rights era in the 1960s, when you had all of those black people who, you know, put their lives on the line. Yes. Men, women, young people, children put their lives on the line and went up against police clubs and water hoses and police dogs and horses trampling over the people. And that was a very, very, very high level of self-respect that supported the courage. Well, the courage was a byproduct of the self-respect, and it really changed, you know, this area of the world. And I think that, you know, they came out of that movement saying black pride, black dignity, black self-respect, black is beautiful, black power. And the white people understood, wait a minute, (laughs) this cannot continue. And so they got very busy. I mean, at that point, I maintain we experienced racism, but we didn't understand it in the depth that I'm talking about it now. And so the white people said, oh, they don't even, they don't really realize what they've done. I mean, at a certain level, we realized, but we didn't realize at that point black people, we didn't realize that we were dealing with a total system that Neely Fuller came along in the 50s and laid out, that it was a total system structure. It wasn't just you don't want me on the bus with you or you don't want me drinking from the same water fountain, that it was a total system for a power equation of white power over non-white powerlessness. So those were parts and components and once our people started even confronting, you know, it's like taking the screws out of a machine, you know what I'm saying, and one little wheel starts affecting the bigger wheel. So the system of white supremacy started seeing a threat to itself or to the, the actual system, and they responded and, um, you know, in Well, see, fashion. the people actually changed, you know what I'm saying, by that courage and that, you know, black power. That's what the people came out saying, and that was really what happened. And I say the white people realize this is serious. We've got to put these people back in the box. They don't know what they've done. I mean, you know, they don't really know the depth of what they've done. And so the white people said, oh, what we can do with them now, since they really don't understand the seriousness of what they have, you know, what they've taken apart. So what we will do is tell them they can be movie stars. And so from that high level of self-respect and courage, the white, because the black people thought, oh, it's really green power, and the white people said, what we'll do is put them in the movies. But the roles and the characters that we will have them playing are going to be demeaning and degrading. And so they gave a super fly, 
into drugs, into shooting and killing each other. And we thought, oh, well, that's just entertainment. It doesn't mean anything. No, they were transforming a mentality. Do you follow what I'm saying? So black men and women fighting and, you know, cursing and all kind of demeaning and degrading behavior. And then that was followed with all of the trashy. See, when hip-hop started and the rap started, Public Enemy did an album, Fear of the Black Planet, based on my crest theory. Yes. And white supremacy said, oh, no. See, that was like putting a political concept on a rap. And so the white people, unbeknownst to, I guess, us, said, we can't have that. What we've got to do is pay them a lot of money, you know, the different groups, what we'll pay them, mm-hmm. but the, the, what they're going to be saying is complete demeanment, complete and total demeanment. They'll be calling themselves niggers because this, we will tell them this is what we want. Right, that's what we're paying for. Bitches, hoes, gangsters, thugs, dogs, bow-wows. And so we'll have them put this, do this, you know, whatever number of years and just put this in their thinking. They will think that we are saying, oh, you're really great entertainment. No, we're brainwashing you. And then we step it up to where it is now. Now, now we're going to add to the music. We're going to give them images. And the images are empire, scandal, blackish, all this pudding in visual form, hoping to trap us for the rest of ever. And see, black people just, oh, this doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to call each other nigger. Oh, to, a woman to call herself a bitch and a hoe, this doesn't mean anything. This is entertainment. See, I say empire for the white people. They're looking at Planet of the Apes. Mm. See, if one... <laughs> See, I say reading is more important than watching TV. Every black person ought to have a thousand books in their library, in their house, as opposed to no books. And read and read and read and read and read. See, this was played out in Germany. Hitler said, I'm going to kill 11 million Semites of the Jewish religion. They think they're German, but they are not white. And we're going to kill all of the people who are not white because this is going to be a white, pure world, Europe. Mm -hmm. Today, Germany demolished the world. And the Jews thought that they were being accepted, that they had been out of their ghettos, and now they were being accepted, and now they were being allowed to go to the universities. 
and now the men could marry German women. And what is reported is that at point that they had the highest incidence of Jewish men, Semites of the Jewish religion, males marrying German females, was when Hitler came to power and started killing them. See, if we understood that, we would say, because it's like, you know, we got the highest incidence right now of um, black males marrying white women. And a lot of people have interpreted that, see, we can all get along. Hmm. And this is when the police... You know, the people who in the system of white supremacy who are authorized to carry guns start killing black men at will. Now, they did that before, you know, immediately after slavery with with the lynching and castrations. Right. Where, you know, they would always, that black man looked at a white woman. He thought he wanted to look at a white woman. He was thinking about thinking about looking at a white woman. Do you Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? And so now what are they doing? See, if you don't understand the context, you can't put any of these events or stuff that we even see in the movies or on the TV screen. We can't put it in context. context. You see, but if we understood, we would see, oh, these, the units or the divisions within the system of white supremacy, the people who are the first-line protectors. Those are the police. Protecting the system of white genetic survival. And so there, you know, on a killing rampage, killing black men, and then they go to court and they say justifiable homicide. Or they pass laws, stand your ground, so that the white person only has to say, I was afraid. I thought he had a weapon. Well, when they say, I thought he had a weapon, the weapon is his genitals that have the power to cause white genetic annihilation. So the inherent fear is just seeing the melanated man, period. You know what I'm saying? Just his presence alone is the threat. And the uh, there's a retired white police. Which is what they're saying openly. Hmm? This is what they're saying openly now. They're like, I just seen him and he just looked like a monster. He was threatening. Right, exactly. Exactly. But see, you can't even interpret that. You know, it's like the black people will get, oh, he said he looked like a monster. No, but if we were reading it within the context of the system, and reading it within the context of understanding their conscious and subconscious thinking, we would interpret exactly what they mean. Exactly. And see, I say that our most powerful weapon is to speak to that. See, if we had a critical mass of black people who were saying, now we understand what you're doing. Now we understand where you're coming from. You have a system of racism, white supremacy, 
structured for your genetic survival and to prevent your genetic annihilation. We didn't understand it before, but now we understand, and this is why you have the absolute necessity to attack and destroy black men. This is why you have them all locked up. Oh, we didn't understand. (laughs) Now we are getting it clear. So we're not all in this together. This is like a chess game. Yes. And the game of chess is about white always moves first, so that's white playing offense, defense. The black side has to play defense, offense. And the object of the game of chess is for the white king to checkmate the black king. It's all it's all of one mindset that if we would begin to understand and we programmed ourselves to counter racism, you see where there is conscious understanding of racism and articulating it. See, this is why the people who classify themselves as white don't want black people talking about racism. So none of the so-called civil rights organizations can really talk about racism. They can mention the word, but they can't talk about what it is. The dynamics. Exactly. So they can mention it, but then go on to talk about police brutality. Well, police brutality doesn't mean anything outside of the context of the system of racism. See, the system of racism necessitates the killing of black men. And it's men because women don't, women cannot, I don't care whether white, black, brown, red, or yellow, women cannot impose sexual intercourse. Males, it's just the physiology difference. Males can impose sexual intercourse. And so, you know, if they're, Fear is genetic annihilation. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to worry about the women. Let the women have some jobs. You know, they don't have any protectors. And they are not a threat to our genetic survival because they cannot impose sexual intercourse. But the males, the white, black, brown, I'm sorry. No, when you finish, um, the particular point that you're making. I just want to ask a question. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying whether the males are white, black, brown, red, or yellow. I mean, that's what happened during enslavement. You know, white males imposing themselves on African women. That's why we have all these different colors in our population. Why we don't look like a West African population because of the level of rape of African women that went on. Now, as a psychologist um, or psychiatrist, for that matter, my apologies, uh, what what do you feel has been the effects of that perpetuation, that rape? You know, are we seeing remnants of it continuously still popping up in 
you know, and the, ch- I'm and the children. I'm seeing what popping up. I didn't hear you. Mm-hmm. Are we seeing the effects of that rape? Is it generational? Does it transcend, you know, through the generations? Is it continuous, you know, of it's, that particular rape that has taken place? Well, I don't know if I understand you, but I would say the effect of it has been for black people to be taught to glorify light skin over dark skin. And that's like a glorification of the ancestral grandmothers being raped. And for the system of white supremacy for uh, preventing white genetic annihilation, the whites are less fearful of lighter color. That's the whole thing. If you're black, your background, sick around, yellow, mellow, white, right. The less color you have, the less perceived threat to white genetic annihilation. But they have fostered that in making divisions among black people. And it's, you know, all the colored people all over the world, all over South America, all over Central America, all over the Caribbean, all over Asia, all over India. Everybody has color sickness who have been exposed to white supremacy, and that's the entire world. Yes, yes, they do. There's and these so castes. At least becoming knowledgeable about it. Do you, do you see, as opposed to all the colored populations, basically say don't marry anybody darker than yourself and causing all of these color divisions and color sickness. You see, is so that the oppressed people being suppressed, oppressed by racism, white supremacy, worship the people that oppress them. And this is why, like, white people say to me, well, Dr. Welsing, if you say whites are a tiny minority, how is it that the minority, you know, the tiny white minority can control the non-white majority, right? So I say to them, well, it could be that you're smarter, but I don't think that that's the answer. I think that once you dominate all the people of color, they see you dominate them with the gun, and then you basically program their thinking, program their thinking through education, et cetera, shaping their cultures, so that you program them to hate themselves. You see, it's like black self-hatred, non-white self-hatred, is the major support of racism, white supremacy. Yes. Do You see, so they have been able to capture the minds of the numerical majority and shape the thinking so that the majority end up being the major support of the white minority. Do you see? But if so that if the non-white, you know, like if black people suddenly, if their thinking was transformed, and see, I say none of this is about hating white people. We don't have time or energy to spend hating white. It's just like if you were playing chess. 
you wouldn't spend any time hating your opponent. And if you were confident in your ability to play, you would just say to your opponent, make your best move. Because I understand enough about the game so that I can handle the win that you make. Right. You see, where you wouldn't, it wouldn't be about hate, it wouldn't be about emotion. It's just like, make your move. Indeed. Take all the time you need. Make your move. But as long as we don't understand, then, you know, we have to whine and cry and hate ourselves and hate each other because we feel weak and vulnerable. But, you know, again, that can change. That was my next question for you. Um, I was going to ask you, what do you think will bring the critical mass that you're speaking of that our people will be conscious and understanding of racism and white supremacy and thus would have the confidence to confront it and call it for what it is? You know, especially taking into account what you're saying about the numerical majority that has now adopted this psychology where, quote-unquote, you know, the non-whites are the ones that are contributing most to racism and white supremacy by dealing with self-hate. Well, let's let's say they're, they're contributing a substantial amount. See, the answer is just like what you're doing. You have a program and you seek to, you know, we could be talking about (laughs) bubblegum. You know what I'm saying? We could be talking talking about... (laughs) We could be talking about anything. Do you you see? But Mm -hmm. you uh, decided you were going to have some guests come on your show and talk about race and white supremacy. Just like that. See, black people, you know, like if a black person teaches a new dance step, it takes about two and a half days for it to be all across the country, if not around the world, right? Nobody ever says, how are we going to get this dance step so that everybody is doing it? (laughs) Doing it in, it. in rhythm, right, 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 you know, with perfection. And that's because we think we're supposed to dance or sing. But we can decide that we are going to program ourselves to replace racism, white supremacy with justice. That That's, that's our cosmic assignment. We're the parent no. people on the planet. See, we're the mothers and fathers of everybody on the planet. And just like in some households, I'm a general psychiatrist and child psychiatrist, and it's in many households where the parents don't know how to play their role as parents and the children take over the house and all hell breaks loose, yes. right? And so the parents at, right. get back in position. And so we need to get into position. I tell people if they were lucky enough, black people, the black people who had grandmothers or grandparents who, especially grandmothers, you know, who 
if you were not doing the right thing with your behavior, all they had to do was look at you and raise an eyebrow. You got yourself in check. That's right. Now, when black people, see, we have we have become like what I say, you know, in, in psychiatry, say there's role reversal so that the parents have become the children and the children are trying to run the house. And we have a role reversal in terms of this whole dynamic of oppression where the white people who are our children, see, that's why they they want to have Aunt Jemima pancakes, <laughs> Uncle mm-hmm. Ben Rice, <laughs> paying that's tribute right. to I, what their relationship really is to us. I make this see, point we, to people. Um, I, I do apologize for interjecting. But this this point that I'm able to make was partially. I I came to this rationale by reading your works, you know what I'm saying, and I started making this point to people over and over again. I said, you're dealing with somebody who told you that you're inferior and you're an animal and you're an beast, but this same person would put his child on the nipple mm-hmm. of your mother, and allow her genetics to become the furnishing nutrition and the sustenance to grow that baby that they're going to put in charge of their lineage and their business and everything. So I say just critically think about that. They're telling you that you are beasts. So you came from this woman. Why would they put their children on the nipple of that same woman and allow that woman to raise their child to this very day? Why would they trust that woman with their child and go to work and, quote, unquote, get to the business of running the world, but the confidence is that they're going to allow that child to be with this woman? They think that fear is that crippling, that, the the, the you know, that arrangement is so secure that they're See, just going to leave their child the with that woman? woman? They call her Mammy. The white caretaker, they say, is a nanny. <laughs> That's a mm. group. But they'll call the black woman Mammy. Mammy and Pappy and Uncle Ben. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Greetings, Dr. Welsing. Uh, my name is Kamani Tate. I'm actually the son of uh, George Edward Tate of the Tom Airy Temple. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. I want to say thank you for allowing us to to bring you in um, to give this message across. Um, it's, it's needed. There's a generational gap um, in which there's a large, large amount of people that need to know about you and hear your work. So I just want to say thank you again um, for giving us your time. No, you're quite um, welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now the the mammy the mammy thing that's quite interesting because um, that was actually the first Oscar given to a black woman was for playing that role was it not? Right, probably, probably. I never thought about that, and I don't, yeah. I don't consider myself a <laughs> expert on movie history, on but movies. I think you're right. Gone with the wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. She 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 had the scarf on her head and everything, just like her. She looked just like her. But um, I wanted to ask a question in regard to um, melanin um, because I know you uh, there was a, a lecture you did some time ago called Melanin and Plants, um, and I know uh, 
genetic uh, inadequacy and deficiency and fear that they have deals with our skin color, um, and the skin color is a result of the melanin. So I wanted to know if you could take any time and give your take um, on melanin because that, that happens to be a hot topic um, these days within the conscious community, and it would be great to hear what you have to say about it. Well, I I would start by saying this. My father uh, is deceased, but he was a physician in Chicago, and his father was a physician in Chicago. My father, I sat down with my father uh, when I wrote The Crest Theory, and I was discussing it with him. And my father said, now you have to find out what's in the melanin, which never occurred to me. I mean, I wrote, you know, in other words, what's in melanin? I mean, really investigate what melanin really is. That had not occurred to me, although I was discussing the reality of melanin, that's what the pigment, the black pigment that gives color to everybody's skin, either you have a, a, a genetic component that produces large quantities or produces lesser quantities. So I pay tribute to my father because no black people would be talking about melanin if my father had not said to me, now I find out what's in the melanin, and I did that, and I started everybody talking about melanin because my father did it. Now, my father's father was a physician in Chicago who died in 1909. And I was born in 35 and finished medical school in in 62. And it was even after 62 that my father showed me some papers that his father had written and my grandfather, as I said, was a physician in Chicago who died in 1909. He was from Charlotte, North Carolina, but went to medical school in Chicago. And my grandfather had written, how dare anyone think they're superior based on the color of their skin. So that's three generations of physicians talking about melanin. Well, melanin is, I say, a very special pigment. I don't think that people should get fixated on that too uh, and not focus primarily on racism. But I think that I wrote a paper uh, a long time ago back in the 70s called Melanin, the Neurochemical Basis for Soul, S-O-U-L and saying that melanin is a sense receptor and a neurotransmitter, and saying that because the pigment, just like the pigment that causes plants to be green, and it's the, that pigment is chlorophyll, and the chlorophyll takes the light from the sun or other light and transforms it into energy and that's why plants grow and that's how the whole planet is fed and I say that melanin is able to in the darker the person the more melanin they have 
the more it, they the more energy frequencies they can pick up. And and I say this is why black people seem to have more rhythm. They're picking up more energy frequencies from the universe than people who have an absence of melanin. I say this is why this is why I believe this is why George Washington Carver, a black skinned man, was able to go out and people called him a wizard. And they asked him, how was he able to tell what plants could do? And he said he would go out early in the morning when it was very quiet, and the plants would talk to him. Well, we can say, our, you know, certain energy frequencies talk to our eyes, and that's how we see. Certain energy frequencies talk to our eardrum, and that's how we hear. So if melanin is a sense receptor, and so it's picking up frequencies. Mm-hmm. Now, if you hate your black skin, you probably, you know, but the old people used to say, the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice. If it ain't got no soul, it ain't got no use. That's long, 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 long ago expression where they were saying, you know, that something was different about people who had high melanin versus people who didn't. Those are white. I mean, we talk about white people. White people will say about black people, you're sensitive. You're too sensitive. And so I say that this is this is the function of melanin, but black people have been taught to hate their color. And so, I mean, this is, we're the only people that can produce all of the colors. Black people are the only people in high black is the only color that can produce all of the color, what I call crystal black. And see, Osiris, the Egyptians, the Egyptian people, would refer to Osiris as Lord of the Perfect Black. So this, I say that the melanin is powerful as a sense receptor neurotransmitter. But, you know, we are still in the stage of hating black. The last thing in the world that a black person wants to see when they have a baby is a crystal black baby. Mm. But I say that's the way the pyramids were built. See, we see in front of us in the technology now, solar collectors and those solar panels, those dark solar panels that you pick up the frequency from the sun and transmit it into electrical energy. So this is something for black people to think about. Do you see? But the system of racism has given black people the image of God as white. And so black people are in love with, you know, black people are religious and they pray to a white God. And I say that, uh, you know, God, the white people say the most powerful thing in the universe is a black hole. Now they are investigating 
the powerful dark matter in the universe. Right. But black people have been taught to hate black. Right. So our people are in love with the cocoa. You know, even their drug of choice is white. You know what I'm saying? And they have mm-hmm. a uh, mm-hmm. a love relationship with it. You know what I'm saying? But see, so. all of these things, this is why it's important what you're doing or you're having... Uh, discussions about these different topics and it gives us an opportunity as black people to uh, think maybe in in some different ways, consider thinking about some things in a different way. Uh, See, I'm determined that, you know, the system of racism and white supremacy has to be replaced with a system of justice. And somebody might say, well, does that mean killing all the white people? I say that's not necessary. See, it's just like, yeah. if, let's say if it's a group of ten friends and they get together frequently, one person amongst them is a thief. So whenever they get together, somebody's missing a wallet, you know, did you see my uh, purse? You know, I thought I had some money in it because the people don't know that there's a thief amongst them. But once they realize who the thief is, the thief can't function. Right. Because the, all eyes are, you know, people don't even them. have to be yeah. unkind. They're, they're just, you know, just constantly under observation. And in the same way, if black people right now, the you know, we don't have a single organization that's supposed to be about the protection of black people that will focus on racism. Because all the organizations are funded by white people, and white people dare them to talk about racism. So they can't, no matter what how good their intentions are, they can't really help black people other than recommend the same old thing over and over again, you know, march and vote. Now, that's not to say that you don't ever march or you throw away the vote, but you've got to be able to explain to people how to use the vote in a system of racism, white supremacy. Right. March, but you march talking about a system of racism, white supremacy. Do you see, but it's just like the march in Ferguson. All the white people had to do is swoop in with a whole lot of money and change the direction of thinking. Yes, indeed. George Soros spent $30 million out there. So, See, you this know, is what. I, yes. No, no. That was going to be. You know, thank you very much, Mr. Soros. But uh, we're talking about racism, and since you've got a lot of power, Mr. Soros, the responsibility of white people who say they're not racist is to stop the ones who are. You don't even have to come around black people. If you are against racism, then you 
have power in a system of white supremacy, so you stop the ones who are. By whatever means necessary, that's your responsibility. Don't come and give us money. Stop the ones who are. Oh, you couldn't stop them? Well, I guess you're supporting racism and white supremacy. My um, my next question to you was going to be, you know, a definitive definition of justice because when we often talk about justice, you know what I'm saying, as I saw with these past incidents last year, automatically our people are trained to think about achieving justice through the courts. So it's the very system that they have conflict with, and they can't differentiate the two. They can't identify and see white supremacy as being part and parcel of the very system that they're looking to for justice. Case in point, they just came out and they said, however many years later, we don't have enough proof to indict, uh, what's the dude, um, Zimmerman, for Trayvon Martin, how you know, this is like you, that was still in deliberation. You know what I'm saying? Like the state brought charges. See, in other and words, the where you got to start. Yeah. See, so you have to start with they're not talking about white people are not talking about doing away with a system of racism, white supremacy. They structured a system for their survival on this planet. And so everything, everything, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, law, politics, religion, sex, and war, support the system for white genetic survival and the prevention of white genetic annihilation. That's why they don't have a definition for justice. A lawyer, white lawyer said to me recently, Make no mistake, justice and laws are two different things. Now, Neely mm-hmm. Fuller, in his work, says a definition of justice is no one is mistreated. No one is allowed to be mistreated, and those who need the most help get the most help. And I think that that's... A, That's a satisfactory definition as far as I'm concerned. No one is mistreated. Now, interesting enough, you know, again, like I said, when we're talking about the system, we're talking about capitalism, which is the uh, financial engine. No, 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 not not me. (laughs) I'm not talking about capitalism. No, no, I'm saying when we're identifying the system of racism, white supremacy, and we're talking about the economic engine of that particular system, that would be capitalism, correct? No, in other words, I think. In other words, for example, Karl Marx talked about capitalism as a system where he was saying that it was economics that drove all of the dynamics. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Neely Fuller is saying. Okay. I'm saying that color, 
skin coloration and people who classify themselves as white setting up a system for white genetic survival. And that's the critical dynamic that controls economics, education, entertainment. So whatever you call, you can say economics under the system of white supremacy. Now, the white people say capitalism, socialism, communism, but they're not talking about what I'm talking about. They're not talking about a system of white supremacy. So you can have Fidel Castro in Cuba saying they have a communist system and they've got racism, white supremacy. Right. So I think it's important to be able to say education under a system of racism, white supremacy. Economics under a system of racism, white supremacy. Legal structures under a system of racism, white supremacy. Religion under a system of racism, white supremacy, etc. See, in other words, it's what's driving what. Right. Well, thank you for that clarification. See, one can say sexuality in a system of racism, white supremacy. War in a system of racism, white supremacy. See, it's like the solar system where it's the power in the sun that it causes the circulation of the planets around the sun. If the sun wasn't there, the planets wouldn't be circling it. Right. So it's like, where does the power start? What is the structure of power and what is its necessity? And so whether one is saying that it's economics as the driving force, like I would dare say 95% of black people say, no, it's economics. It's money. It's business. And I say that's not what the people who classify themselves as white think about when they are handling the money that they put their picture on. And this is why black people have trouble getting jobs in a system of racism and white supremacy, have trouble getting money loans from a bank. I was just driving up the street in Washington, D.C., and looking at an area that's under gentrification where the black people are moving, being moved out being removed from the urban centers and looking at the level of the transformation of housing. So if a white person buys a house that a black person, uh, you know, couldn't get money to fix up, and immediately the white people get money to fix up the property at a very, very high level because they can get loans to do that. And so it changes neighborhoods almost overnight from how they looked when the black people were occupants and how they look when the white people become occupants because they can get the money. They can have jobs. If they have jobs, they can get education. 
if they have jobs, they can get health care. All day. And this is going on everywhere. Everywhere. Gentrification is going on in Detroit, my hometown, Chicago. Gentrification is going on there. Move the black people out. And the white people come in with their dogs and their baby carriages. But it's not everybody share equally. No, the black people have to be pushed out. We don't want to live next to black people. And I said in the Crest Theory, I mean, it's like if you have a white person and a black person living next to each other, and let's say they, you know, they both have the same income and they can have the same car and the houses look just alike, and the white man steps out of his door to go to work in the morning and the black man steps out and they say, good morning, but the white man looks at the black man and says, but you still have something I don't have. You have color and I don't. So that's what makes it uncomfortable for the mindset that that is worried about adequacy. See, and you can see it in terms of smoking objects. I mean, you can see it in terms of ball games and ball games referring to the testicles and the ball games that are created by white people, white men. The larger balls are always brown. The small balls are always white. Smoking objects, the same thing. The larger smoking objects would be a cigar and a pipe. Those are phallic symbols. The small white cigarette, and the white people call the cigarette a fag. If a white man has a son, he doesn't pass out a cigarette. He hands out cigars, which are symbols of the black male's genitals. So what's cooking away in the subconscious will come out. If you right. see, you won't see it if you don't have the right understanding of the power context. Right, even like when I it, ask people even all when it the comes time. down to, huh? So I'm saying, even in the, in addition to how people go about smoking their marijuana, you know, the brothers are roll a blunt. You know, the white boys are going to roll a joint. You know what I'm saying? So that's also a context that you can use to um, point that out because that's that's recent. You know what I'm saying? And that's something that has manifested Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I say that if black people begin to understand and we understand the importance of self-respect. See, white people, when they go about paying black people large sums of money to use language like nigger, gangster, thug, bitch, hoe, they are not wasting their money. 
because they know yes, if I can turn investment. you into trash, I have defeated you. See, right. If I can turn you into trash, if I can annihilate your self-respect, I have defeated you. Because people who think of themselves as trash will not defend themselves. Mm. No, you incinerate trash. Right. So all these movies where black people are being trashed and they don't understand they're being trashed. See, Adolf Hitler understood when he destroyed the Semites of the Jewish religion and the other non-white people that were in Germany and Austria and Europe, he knew that his uh, office of propaganda, he had a propaganda minister whose name was Joseph Goebbels. And Goebbels... Role was to, you know, put negative, destructive images of Jews in the magazines and the movies and the newspapers. And Propaganda, they, yes. Right. And so training the German people to see, and the language that they used in German was Tiermensch. That means subhuman, animal people. Tier is animal, mensch means man. Yes. And they also call them life unworthy of life. Mm. And that prepared wow. the minds of the German people to destroy life unworthy of life. So when you look at empire, you're seeing life unworthy of life. Brother Red, are you with us on the phone? Um, I just wanted him to point out in his research that he's been doing as of lately. Um, this is my brother. What he's dealing with what he called the Trayvon Factor, yes, and he was speaking of this constant dehumanization in media, propaganda machine that have went into overdrive, you know what I'm saying? Especially even that we saw with the Mike Brown situation and what have you. Um, you know, a lot of what we didn't notice is the, the, the TMZ play last year with just a constant barrage of, you know, dehumanization and character assassination of the melanated man in the media. So when we started seeing actual bodies in the street, there was a level of non-empathy involved, not only by, you know, white society, quote unquote, but also by our own people. You know what I mean? Because they had just brought into this constant barrage, seeing Jay-Z getting smacked in the elevator to Ray Rice and all these other incidents that kept playing and looping on TV and, you know, the destruction of iconic figures such as Bill Cosby and things of that nature. All of these mm-hmm. propaganda devices that have been used in media where our own people are like, well, you know, what do you else do you expect from us? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the fate of the black man. But when they see a black child die, all of a sudden black lives matter. But not when empire is on, you know what I'm saying? Not when these other shows that are fueled by the destruction of black family and, and the, the loss of black lives as well. You know, their iconic figure in empire started the episode by killing another man, another brother. 
you know, but well, see, they're trained again, to I mean, it, see that. See, I, if I'm giving a lecture, a lot of times I'll say right on the blackboard, let's give the white people another A+. Because they're on their game. Hmm. Their game is white genetic survival, preventing white genetic annihilation by any and all necessary means. We are suffering from not having knowledge of the system of racism, white supremacy, as Neely Fuller says, what it is and exactly how it works. What it is and exactly how it works. That's what I call taking it to a scientific level. Where what is it? And what exactly is it? See, like a person will say, I have sugar. Now, they mean they are diabetic. But the doctor has to understand exactly what diabetes is, if it's going to be treated or cured. You can't just say, I got sugar, and say, I understand. A person could say, yeah, I know I got high sugar, I know I got diabetes, but they may not understand exactly what it is and what would be required to effectively treat it. And that's what I'm saying, the difference. In other words, like a lot of black people, everybody knows there's racism. Well, what is your definition? Tell me your definition right this minute. And chances are the person doesn't have a definition. And in science, until you define something, you're not talking about really dealing with it effectively. You have to define what it is that you're talking about. Because a white person could say, "Well, yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I know, I know about racism." Well, what is your definition? Because what you may say racism is may not be what I'm talking about at all. Right. So the definition of terms, that's when we start moving forward. And it's real ironic that um, uh, you bring up empire because um, it hit a point where there was actually a... um, a very powerful scene that was just broadcasted. Um, He has a son on the show uh, who doesn't have any talent. His talent is actually uh, education. And he sat him down and he told him something face-to-face. And he said, look, you think just because you went to their schools that they're going to accept you because you're wearing their clothes, that they care anything about you? You really think because you married a white woman and brought her in my house that they think anything highly <laughs> of you? He was like, they don't care nothing about you. you spending all your life and all your energy and all your time trying to impress them, and the only thing you're doing is moving further and further from who you truly are. Mm-hmm. See, now it's thought, just like what has to be measured. If you say, well, that was a positive statement about racism, but then you 
juxtapose it. Oh yeah, they to did the number the of scene. negative images. <laughs> they did it in the very next scene. They did it in the very next scene. But I, I said that to say how they'll they'll put it out there. You know, it's at the point now they'll they'll say it simple and plain to you. But because of the amount of people who are not aware, alert, um, or attentive to the matter at hand, it goes right over their heads. No, but I'm also saying that, okay, I give you one positive image, and I give you 400 negative images. Oh, yeah. And they nullify (laughs) the one positive image. Yep. Yep. See, that's like, you know, the... The people who classify themselves as white is, you know, pacify the few and harm the many. All right. See, that's why you have black people walking around. Well, I've got a white friend. <laughs> so what you're saying about racism is not true, Dr. Welsing. Sure. Pacify the few. And harm the many. That's how the plantation was run. Pacify the few, harm the many. Indeed, I want to do this. See it clearly. (laughs) We can change it. Those who are so inclined. You know, like the church says, whosoever will, let him come. Yes, indeed. With your permission, Dr. Wilson, I have a few hands up in the call queue. Our listeners are okay. in attendance tonight. I will, I would love to feel some questions from our listeners. Let me make okay. this announcement before we do that. Family, this and Sunday, then March 1st. Yes, in Harlem, no, guys, New yeah. York. Yes, at 2 p.m. at the Tamari Temple, which is located at 104-106-126th Street between Lexington and Park Avenue, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson will be in the building, okay? This is a Women's History Month special. And, of course, um, like we have told you this evening, the name of the lecture will be The System of Racism, White Supremacy, and a Scientific Black Agenda. All right? So, family, you definitely want to be in the building for this. This is at 2 p.m. Rare Again, opportunity. Harlem. Yes, Harlem, New York. Come see our esteemed matriarch in person, exchange some real melanated energy with her in the building. Okay? And, um, yeah, you know, afford yourself the gift of a lifetime, family. All right? So with that, I want to take our first caller of the evening. Whoa. A lot of hands up. Okay. Let me open up Brother Red Pill's line. Okay, Red. Let's go to caller from the 704-649. 704-649. Caller, pace. So, 
704 caller, you in the building. Peace. Okay, we're going to keep it moving. Let's go to caller from the 234804. 234804. Caller, welcome to KTL. Peace. Peace, peace, peace. Brother Gerald Axe. Greetings. Canton, Ohio. Peace to Brother Redfield. Peace, Brother Blue Pill. Uh, peace to um, the Francis Crest Wilson. Um, I have to say it's an honor to. Uh, be gracious to your presence on the show. Um, uh, I frequently listen to a lot of your lectures. Um, uh, first one I got was on a DVD um, with uh, Dr. Ben. And it was kind of yours. It was like a, a toss-in at the end. It wasn't complete. So I had to look up and find it. And, you know, saying it was like a jewel. Um, the, the the theory on um, um, white supremacy being a um, a psychological disorder, you know, summed up and, and you know, saying that you actually had done work on it and, you know, saying this this work is older than, um, you know, I'm only 27 years old and, you know, at 24 was when I was exposed to it and I'm like, wow. It's, and I can't believe these types of things, even though I went to an institution of higher learning, I had never, you know, going into the field of psychology and once going to the medical field, I never heard of you, ever, ever before. Um, so um, I just want to say it's an honor, and uh, I, my question would uh, be to you today. Um, I have a daughter, you know, recently, um, only 10 months old, um, and uh, I'm, I'm considering a number of things as far as her education is is concerned. You know, I know it's uh, down the road, but it'll it'll be it'll be here uh, nonetheless soon. I'm kind of leaning towards homeschooling, but. I don't know how I would go about there, that because I just really don't want her in, you know, the public school systems. I'm unsure about, it. you know, I'm I'm nervous. Number one, because of the, you know, the, whatever neighborhood I would take her to, and number two, because of, you know, the subject matter, how how it would make her feel. Because I know how, you know, you know, racist the school systems can be, and not really, you know, helping towards an, uh, a black mind. So kind of wanted to hear maybe your thoughts on that or any suggestions as far as raising uh, a young woman who happens to be black. Let me ask you this. Are you married? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay. So that that's important because I was going to say that uh, it's very important. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a school, what school to go to, but the first school is in the home. Yes, absolutely. And how the parents are relating to each other. There's a lot of stress on black people. And if to the extent that they don't understand that racism is causing the stress, a lot of times they take the stress and frustration out on each other. Oh, hold on. That, I, I apologize. I don't mean to interrupt, Dr. Wilson, but I, I want you to continue while... Maybe in the presence of my wife, I, I kind of want her to hear this as well. So could you continue? Uh, I was just saying that the pressures that are on black people, if they don't have an understanding of racism, white supremacy as a system, what it is and how it works, a lot of times they take the frustration out on each other, and that has a profound impact on the children who are developing in that context. And so I would encourage you both to um, 
you know, with a lot of patience and respect towards one another, uh, really work on how you get along together in front of children. Like I say, I'm a general psychiatrist and child psychiatrist and for 40-plus years, and all the little children that I see coming in uh, that are in distress because the parents are in distress or the parents are separated and how that impacts the well-being of children and especially male children and their fathers. But female children are equally impacted, but I will say to a lesser extent than male children not having the adult male person with whom to identify and shape their behavior. So these are these are just things that, you know, and I say also we have to cease depending upon uh, school systems and the system of racism, white supremacy, to teach our children uh, black history, that that should be taught in the home. And there's no reason that we could expect that a system of white supremacy is going to teach that. And so if black parents understand, no, that's our responsibility to teach our children to value and respect themselves and teach them the things that we consider to be important. They learn that in the home. You don't go to school to have somebody from another group or another community teach you how to value yourself Uh, and to understand that uh, self-respect is the most valuable thing that people can ever possess. And I say simultaneously, it's more powerful than a nuclear weapon. And so, you know, like working on black male-female relations and, and working on that and understanding that the that's the last thing in the world the system of racism and white supremacy wants to see, black men and black women respecting each other. You see, which is why you see on TV, at least here in D.C., we see a lot of commercials with black men and white women. It's rare to see a commercial where a black man and a black woman are speaking with respect to one another, looking at each other as though they value and respect themselves and one another. You know, they may be glaring at each other, rolling their eyes at each other. Something to indicate that there's very low level of respect. Uh, So I would say that that's, you know, you say, what can I do for my child? child a package of respect that is learned by how the parents are relating to each other and how the parents then relate to the child. Is that helpful? Very, very, very peace. I um uh I heard you all were um touching on uh, Empire too, and you know, and um, you know, sort of the dynamics of that. I kind of, uh, you know, cut out TV altogether in my house. You know, me and my wife don't even watch it at all. We're, we're more prone to uh, movies and documentaries uh, and such. But um, 
as far as education, um, I also want to say this time, and uh, where I am at in Canton, Ohio, is um, uh, we had a high school, uh, high school merger where they merged the two high schools. So my the high school I graduated from is no longer in existence, and it's like, wow, why would I even want to come here? You know, they have no respect for, you know, saying the type of legacy that we have is, um, it's the educational system is not about the students anymore, and it's more about, you know, money, you know. And uh, so I'm kind of like at that point, that's why I said I was thinking about homeschooling. Uh, I absolutely agree with you that uh, the child's first teacher are the mother and the father. So, you know, I, I do thank you for your words and wisdom. My wife appreciates them too. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for your call. Thank you, my brother. Uh, thank you all. Peace, Peace you thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, Indeed. sir. Peace. All right, let's go to caller from the 813 813 422. 813422. Welcome, peace. Hi, um, just want to um, just say I appreciate Dr. Um, Francis Cresswell's thing. I really appreciate all her knowledge, and I'm um, just I'm thankful you guys had her uh, today. I actually just joined the show and heard her voice, and um, I pressed one before I heard her voice just to hear, like, um, I think you guys are supposed to be in Tampa. So um, I was trying to find out where, like, where you guys were going to be in Tampa. Then I heard you guys were speaking to her, and now it's just, I don't know, I'm amazed, so... That's all I had to say. <laughs> Thank you for Oh, the yes, call. indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, Brother Red, do you have information for Tampa in front of you by any chance? Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up right now. Give me one second. Okay. So we'll, we'll announce it in due time. Thank you to the caller. Please, um, you know, hang on, and we're going to get that information out, all right? Okay. Thank you, guys. Yes. Thank Do you, you have any question that you can think of for the doctor while you're speaking to her in real time? Oh, um... What, what speaks to your heart directly? You know, what are you going through in your social dynamic that you might want to get some insight on? Uh, I guess I can ask her, you know, since... You know, we we have to think about all the all of the white supremacy, and I have a corporate job, so I think about white supremacy, and then I think about my corporate job, and then I look at me, and I'm as black as I can be. And you know, while I was young, I was always told the darker I am, the worse I'm gonna have it. You know, in corporate America. So my question is, is how far should I want to take myself, you know, in this pretty dominated, you know, white corporate America? And uh, should I want to strive to, you know, be in a corporate world or strive to figure out doing things on my own? So that I, that's my question. 
Well, you know, I think that if you have a job and you decide that uh, you want to go as far as you can go in the job and learn as much as you can learn in the job, that, you know, as long as you are valuing and respecting yourself in the situation, uh, I would say fine. Do you see, learn and grow, and it's an African proverb, each one teach one. Do you see, okay. whatever you are learning, you decide, well, I'm going to help someone else, under, you know, understand uh, how uh, this particular corporation is, is run. I'm going to learn myself, get as much education as I can so that I can pass this on in a, some in some way that is going to be helpful uh, to other black people. Okay. Okay. Do, do you see? You. So the most important thing is you value yourself and, you know, value your color. Mm-hmm. I'm starting a movement. Most black is most beautiful. Oh, All wow. the colors are fine, but most black is most beautiful. Okay. See, white supremacy needs to experience black people respecting themselves. And as I said, all the colors are fine. Nobody takes personal responsibility for the color they come in. But we we came in, you know, the color most black coming from the continent. And the lighter hues were made when slave masters were sexually exploiting grandmothers, great-grandmothers, great-great-grandmothers, etc. And so we should not get caught in the trap of being glad that the great-grandmother was raped, but decide that all the colors are fine, everybody is going to respect themselves. But most black, it wouldn't be all the colors if it were not for most black. Uh, somebody from the Sudan told me that in the Sudan they say the blackest people are the smartest people and the wisest people. Well, if the melanin is able to pick up frequencies based on the level of intensity of the melanin, so these people have more information coming in, but if they don't respect themselves, then they won't figure out how to use that energy. You see, they, the energy will be used in hating themselves because that's the conditioning under white supremacy. And so, we, you know, we have to be about the business of changing that and changing, you know, like all of the destructive thinking that um, racism, white supremacy has taught. And as we move forward to, I say, assume our place as the parent people on the planet. The people who know more about dignity, pride, self-respect than anybody else on the planet. That's who we need to be. Nearly for the cause of being universal man and universal woman. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your words and wisdom. I, I, it's touched my heart and I'll never forget that I was able to talk to you and you were able to, you know, give me those words of wisdom. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. 
Yes, thank you, Kamala. Kamala, Kamala. Yes, please do. Can I share the address for her? Yes. Uh, Tampa, Florida, and that is 1213 West Waters Avenue at the Genesis Sports Bar and Grill. And um, the event tomorrow is going to be called the Warriors Conference with Brother Sarah Suicetti, Professor Griff, Irritated Genie, uh, Brother uh, Elder Baruti, and um, his queen. And it will be from 12 p.m. The doors open up 1 p.m. until, and I believe Brother Blue Pill will be present there. Yes. Thank you. And that was the Gemini, what you said, Gemini? Genesis Sports Bar and Grill. Bar and Grill. Okay. Yes. 1213 yes. West Waters Avenue, Tampa, Florida, 33604. 33, yeah, 604. Oh, that's okay. That's right around the corner from my house. Okay. Oh, there you go. And there's something going on tonight, as a matter of fact. There is a, um, there is a, a concert taking place with the brothers and sisters who, uh, you know, engage in the hip-hop and things like of that nature, but it's also a meet-and-greet. So there's something going on right now. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Indeed. Absolutely. Indeed. Peace. All right. We're going to go to another caller. All right, caller from the 310 503 Peace. Yeah. Yes, greetings. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Sir. Okay, thank you so much for taking the call. Um, Sister Dr. Wilson, thank you so much. We appreciate um, all that you've offered this, uh, this evening so far. Um, I know that over the years, uh, reading your works and, and, and hearing your lectures both live and uh, 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 some of the DVDs that I've also listened to, that you take a very principled stand as it relates to the notion of of uh, developing a value system and and I know that Dr. Louis uh, Fuller um, suggested in his book that there should be a code, a specific code um, that black people can refer to. And I know that both of your books uh, develop that, that code. And so I was always taught that values give you at least three things, specific values. They give you predictable behavior, uh, ultimate authority, and certainty in a world of uncertainty. And so, if you will, Dr. Wilson, will you um, will you talk some about um, what Dr. Millie uh, Fuller talks about as the don'ts? Where specifically, I'll give you one, and I know you you, you know what I'm talking about. Where he talks about, you know, specifically, black people should not call each other names, et cetera. And I know that you've also extended that uh, as it relates to developing a value system or a greater value system. Thank you. Okay, let me just ask you: Do you have Neely Fuller's book? Oh, for sure. I've had it for years. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, Neely Fuller talked about, uh, he used to refer to them as the 10 stops. And these are very, very, very basic behaviors that people may think that they're inconsequential, but they are critically important and they are work that... uh, uh, if the black person engages in these behaviors, that they are actually transforming the energy system around them and in relationship to activity with other black people. And so the uh, behaviors, as I said, are very simple, but they are very profound and 
fundamental, and I call them, uh, Neely Fuller calls them counter-racism, and I call them exercises in black mental health and black self-respect and developing a culture of counter-racism. The behaviors are stop name-calling one another, stop gossiping about one another, stop cursing one another, stop squabbling with one another, stop snitching on one another for reasons of personal gain, stop being discourteous to one another, stop being disrespectful to one another, stop stealing from one another, stop robbing one another, stop fighting one another, and stop killing one another. And I add to that list, stop using and selling drugs to one another. Stop throwing down trash where black people live, work, and play. Stop making dirt and filth the norm. Stop black children from thinking that as children they can be adequate mothers and fathers. Black people need to be in their 30s before they reproduce so that they are going to be able to pass on maturity to their offspring. Stop believing that welfare will save you. Start believing in prosperity. Stop pretending that racism, white supremacy does not exist, being divided and conquered. Stop allowing black, brown, red, and yellow peoples being divided by white supremacy. So those are uh, behavior codes for black self and group respect and black mental health and uh, counter-racism, white supremacy. So these are things that individual black people can practice. And just imagine, I mean, you know, like all of the worry that black people engage in and all the crying and the funerals, what if we were individually codified? See, this doesn't, you don't have to belong to any group, you don't have to pay any dues. But imagine if black people started understanding that these behaviors, see, all these behaviors, these negative behaviors, just like the negative behaviors that you can see in Empire and some of these other uh programs. These are behaviors that are structured. When a people are under oppression, their behavior patterns can become distorted and uh, dysfunctional. And so the fact that any of these behaviors exist at a significant level is just the handiwork of a system of racism, white supremacy, shaping and molding people so they will be dysfunctional for themselves and dysfunctional in relationship to one another. And they will not be able to function in unity because they hate themselves and hate each other. So by uh, Neely Fuller selecting these behaviors, I think it's a part of his genius, uh, he selected these basic behaviors that could have a profound impact against racism, white supremacy. I mean, it's just like one of the uh, 
major casualties of the system of racism and white supremacy is uh, black self-hatred and black people not having respect for themselves and one another. And so this is a way to rebuild and to um, form, reform ourselves, transform ourselves. Um, so, I, again, if, imagine if black people just said, we're not going to fight and kill each other anymore. No black person fights and kills another black person. That in itself, see, if non-white people all over the world, I mean, imagine all those non-white people in the Middle East, what if they said, as of tomorrow morning, we're not fighting and killing each other? And then white supremacy would be trying to give them inducements to fight and kill each other. And they say, no, we don't do that anymore. We used to do that before we understood racism, white supremacy. We don't do that anymore. So white supremacy wouldn't be able to come in with a, a different name, ISIS, Boku, Haram, or whatever, some Al-Qaeda, all kind of different names, and say, well, this is this is the instrument that's causing, no, this is racism, white supremacy. Indeed. Dr. Wilson, I had one, one additional area um I th- thank you for that response. I appreciate it so much. Um, Dr. Joy DeGruy Leary, or Dr. Joy DeGruy, uh, suggested that um, post-traumatic slave disorder syndrome, there are probably other ways to contextualize that, but I'll, I'll use her category, post-traumatic slave disorder syndrome. She, su- she suggested that, as uh, Brother Blue was suggesting earlier, that there are generational ramifications over over decades, uh, if not eons, and one of the things that, that 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 she elevated as an example of that was to have, say, you know, two two mothers, uh, a, a so-called you know European white mother, and a, um, a melanated um, carbonated black mother, and they 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 have say children who are roughly about you know seven seven to nine years old, and they're both in the same class and. So when when they come to pick up their children, they have short discussions before they go on their way, and the and the white mother you know talks about her child. She says, "Oh yeah, you know, little Johnny, he gets up in the morning, he feeds the dog, he makes his bed, he's doing his homework every day, he cleans up his room, and he's really good at math." And the black woman, the white woman, thinks, "Oh, I'm just I'm just gushing. Let me let me let my friend talk." So or the, the black woman, the black woman says the exact same thing. Oh yes, you know. Little Rufus, he he gets up every morning, he feeds the dog, he cleans his room, he's great at math, but he's so bad, I don't know what I'm going to do with me so bad. And what Dr. DeGruy suggested was that during times of slavery, that if the black mother was to to, to show that the black child was, 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 was a genius or shined, then that child would be plucked from the family, from the mother, and sold off to another plantation, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you would, in your own words, uh, uh, Blue was, uh, uh, was asking earlier about the generational ramifications of, of uh, racism, white supremacy, and from that angle, anything that you could offer in that way, um, I'm sure we would appreciate it. I'm sure that I, I, I know that I would. Thank you. Well, racism, white supremacy is a system that is over 500 years old. 
And I say that slavery was one phase of racism, white supremacy. And so the things that uh, occurred in the enslavement process were the things that were taking place in that particular phase of the system of racism, white supremacy. Indeed. Thank you, good sister. I appreciate everything you do. So thank you so much. Peace, brother Blue. Peace, brother Brett. Brother Vach. Peace. Thanks. Peace. Give thanks. Indeed. Peace. All right. Um, Yes, indeed. We're going to go to another caller. Give me one second. All right. Let's go to the 708422. 708. What? I don't know if I, I think I opened that line already. Let's go to the 215609. Okay, let's go to the 215609. Call it peace. Peace, peace. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Greetings. Greetings to the family. Um, greetings to the great doctor. I want to just say thank you once again to the show host for putting another historical event um, together. And I want to thank the doctor who, unbeknownst to some of the people who may be listening who who don't know who she is, you know, a lot of, of the new quote-unquote teachers are actually standing on her shoulders. You know what I mean? Like she says, she, she coined key phrases that we still use today in everyday conversation, some of us. But I just want to thank her for still putting in the work and fighting the good fight, as they say. But um, that's that's just pretty much it. I could continue and say a whole bunch of stuff, but I just want to give more people an opportunity to speak. But I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you guys and thank you to the great doctor. And I'm listening. I'm here. Peace. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Give thanks. Thank you. All right. Absolutely. Let's go to the. Eight five seven three four five. Caller from eight five seven three forty five. Greetings, peace. Yo, peace to the gods. It's Arafat from Boston. Peace. Peace, Arafat, peace. peace. Yeah. Um, I just want to say, um, wow, Francis Cresswell, it's really an honor to even be on the line and be able to pose this question. Go right ahead. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, I guess my question is about, um, in, quote, post-racial America um, and with the, the uh, I want to say, uprising of the liberals, um, I think probably one of the best um, uh, perspectives on, on liberals I heard from you in terms of there was an analogy you gave of um, white guilt and, and um white people sort of slipping, uh, you know, slipping food or slipping sustenance through the bars of the cage, you know, only out of guilt because, and, and knowing they're not really improving the situation of um, black folks. And I wanted to get your perspective on or some insight into uh, how do we deal with, with the liberals and, um, and white folk who, um, may even be earnest about wanting to help black folks, but 
in their sort of um, understanding are still perpetuating, you know, and attached to to Western culture. So even their help is is through the lens and context of, uh, you know, essentially a, a corrupted system. Well, do you are you saying that you think we're in a post-racial world? <laughs> no, no, I'm actually saying that it's it's the opposite. But the illusion is post-racial, and and a lot of the youth that are coming up under under this sort of post-racial um, guise actually believe the doctrine. Well, I think and that so they're trying that, to help mm-hmm. under the context of the illusion. Well, I think that those persons who understand system of racism, white supremacy, in their respectful dialogue with people who may not understand, and so a person who understands that uh, we are in indeed in a system of racism, white supremacy, and the fact that some surface changes have taken place so black people can go to department stores and uh, go to a water fountain and sit on the same toilet, that uh, those things have changed, but the fundamental relationship between the people who classify themselves as white and who classify other people as non-white, the global majority, that that power relationship is still in play and all of the things that black people end up complaining about, whether it's police brutality or uh, disparate prison sentencing, prolonged sentences, uh, that all of those are symptoms of the existing system of racism, white supremacy. And this is why a black person who has an in-depth understanding, and by that I mean not just able to say the word racism, white supremacy, but really understands in depth what it is. So if that person says to a person who classifies him or herself as white, and you say, this is what I'm talking about, this is the system that I am talking about, the system that is necessary for white genetic survival. Mm-hmm. And that if the person, if the person who classifies himself as white, if that person says that they are not racist, they are not a white supremacist, then the black person says, well, according to my understanding of what the system is, if you are a person who classifies yourself as white and you say you are not racist, then it's your job and your responsibility to stop the white people who are. Mm. You don't even have to come and report to me. All you have to do is stop them by whatever means are necessary. Mm. So then do we, would you think, you know, if someone cannot come to that level of realization, then, you know, essentially they cannot be a help to the cause of our people, or or maybe we shouldn't, you know. This is the importance of understanding that we're dealing with a system of racism, white supremacy. Mm -hmm. 
and any person that classifies him or herself as white is a beneficiary of that system. And as long as they don't stop it, then they are permitting it to exist. If that person is denying that it exists. See, the vast majority of white people who dare speak on the subject deny that racism and white supremacy exist. Mm. And denying it is one way of keeping it in existence. Do you see, what you do is you tell the black person that you're paranoid if you talk about it. Or you're you're playing the race card. Mm-hmm. That's one way that racism is maintained. So for the black person, it, the black person doesn't have to, uh, you know, prove their understanding, so to speak, to the white person. The black person just has to be, you know, responsible to him or herself and to their self-respect as a black person. In other words, the last 500 years of black people's history is the history of racism, white supremacy, and the victimization of black people. So every black person's relatives for the last 500 years plus have been victimized by racism, white supremacy. And if anything, the presidency of Barack Obama has shown is that even if a black person becomes president, they are mistreated and demeaned and degraded by the system of racism, white supremacy. Mm. So this is important because black people used to think no black person can be president. And that, wow, if a black person becomes president, then that means that there's an end to racism. But the white people have demonstrated very, very clearly that a black man can become president, but he will not be respected by white people. So this is just, all of this is just very instructive. And so black people have to know what they are talking about. Mm. Thank you. That's that's Out of their self-respect. See, in other words, if something is injuring you, you know, there are no black people right now today that <clears throat> if they are married and have children and they have sons, all of those black people have to worry, will my son be shot and killed if he goes out? That's a 100% of black people who have any level of consciousness and who are not deaf, dumb, and blind. At least so, that they should have these fears because of the existence of the system of racism, white supremacy that necessitates. See, the fear of genetic annihilation, that means that you have to kill black men. Mm. And every black man who gets in an automobile knows it. Every single one, that's 
I don't care whether they're a doctor, a lawyer, or a street sweeper. If they get in a car, they have to worry should they see lights flashing behind them, possibility of their death. Every black man who's with a white woman has to wonder about the possibility of his death. Or you can go on for a long time and be a Bill Cosby (laughs) and see your career ruined because white women who willfully went with you and had sex with you, should they ever say decide to come on the television or speak to a reporter and say, he raped me. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods' mm-hmm. career, he can't function any longer as a golfer. Mm-hmm. After being demeaned and humiliated by, what, 10, 15, 20 white women, that he slept with. I say that it's a mental thing, that he it's not his back, it's a mental thing, because he doesn't understand racism. Mm. Mm. And it was important to him to be liked by white people. Huh. You see, but this is just, this is the conditioning. <clears throat> so, you know, it's for black people to understand and if a white person should ask them about racism, you know, like if if your boss on your job asks you about racism, if your boss asks you, well, there's this woman, Dr. Frances Welsing, who's talking about racism, what do you think about what she has to say? The appropriate answer to give their your boss is that well I don't know she might be crazy, so you don't lose your job. Mm. No racism wow. is a reality. Racism is a reality in all the black men that are with white women, and I'm not you know I'm not knocking them. I mean it's like. That was supposed to be the prize when people didn't adequately understand racism and white supremacy. See, white women say their ideal mate is tall, dark, and handsome, just like white men say they're not men until they've had sex with a black woman. Mm. But white people are on a mission for their genetic survival. So I say, you know, talk about capitalism or talk about religion or anything else. It doesn't supersede white people's genetic survival. That is what makes them tick. When they say, I'm white, that is a statement, I'm a minority and I'm genetic recessive in terms of skin coloration. And I can be genetically annihilated by the planetary majority of pigmented people, and black people have the greatest genetic potential to cause my genetic annihilation, and so they have to be the first target. That's why police train using a black outline for target practice. See, they have their game together. You know, if black people greeting white people, they should say, you guys have your game together. 
like a white banker said to me one time, I gave a talk about racism at his bank. That was when Black History Month, and they would have people come and talk about racism. That was a long time ago. So he said to me, Dr. Wilson, you're right about what you're saying, but what can you do about it? And I smiled, and I said, well, we'll just have to see. So I say that the most important step that black people can make at this point is if black people say we, if they just say we finally understood racism. You know, black men can have a national convention. If black men called a national convention and said this convention is about we are afraid of the white man. Now, that would be news all over the globe. And it would be all kinds of white reporters, New York Times, The Guardian, <laughs> all kind of newspapers going up to black men. Well, what are you what are you going to do about it? Uh, and the black man says, we don't know. We're just talking about a reality that we haven't talked about before. Now, the white people all over the planet would wake up because when people can talk truthfully about their reality, they are showing a tremendous amount of courage and strength. See, white men can't come up to black men and say, I'm afraid of you because your genetics are more powerful than mine. And that's why I have to try to kill you each chance I get because really I'm afraid of you. Now, the white man doesn't have the courage to come up and say that. But that's why they are out hunting. That's why a white man who kills 163 people, non-white people, is a hero. American Snake. Mm-hmm. See, he's a hero, killed in his one person, 163 non-white men, women, and children. And everybody flocks to the movie in praise of a white man defending white genetic survival. But, see, people are programmed to not see that. And so black people jump on the bandwagon. Oh, sniper, he's he's a hero. He's a hero. He's a true American patriot. do target practice on each other. Identify. See, this is why black men call themselves dogs. Wanting to be the white man's best friend. Mm. I'm a dog, my woman is a bitch My child is a bow wow Would you please accept me? You can keep me on a leash (laughs) See, white people can do it It's not a question of white people being smarter than black people 
white people come from black people. So they're not smarter. They just figured out on a planetary level what their problem was. And everybody signs on, whether they call themselves conservatives or liberals or libertarians or greens. Underneath that, they say, I'm white. That's the base party that they belong to. So no matter what end of the spectrum, good cop, bad cop, they are all tuned in and informed as to who they are. You see, the black people squabble over what, well, am I African-American or I don't want to be black, am I this and that and that. The white people are completely settled, meaning they know who they are. And if you know who you are, you know where you are, and you know what time it is. Thank you. That that gave me that perspective was, was, I know I said thank you because that perspective was real good in terms of, um, you know, especially post Trayvon, where you know every white liberal is is now an activist. No, it's just a white person. It's a white person because tomorrow they can say I'm a conservative, but guess Mm -hmm. what? I'm white, and the next week they can be a libertarian. I'm white. That never changes. And that that's their code. That's why they know how to function. A white female professor at American University, uh, American University had an educational program in a prison. You know, all black men locked up. And they invited me to come and talk about racism. And I did. Same kind of discussion I'm having now. And so this white woman was bringing me home, and so she said, Dr. Welsing, I'm ashamed to admit it, but on all social occasions, when it's just white people and no black people are present, she said, we are talking negatively about black people. And I didn't get angry or anything. I said, I understand you are are talking code about maintaining your system and white genetic survival and preventing white genetic annihilation. I said, I understand. See, if black people think they have white friends, they ask their friends, what do white people talk about when there's no black people around? See, a black person can be having sex with a white person and interrupt the sex act and ask a white person, what do you all talk about when there's no black people around? The sex act will stop. Because that is their code. See, white people who sleep with black people, white people who are married to black people, don't tell white secrets. See, every black person can run that test. Any person, they say, this is my friend. Say, what do white people talk about when there's no black people around? 
the person will go silent. And I would say at the 100% level. Yeah. So black people begin to understand, you know, this is what Neely for what it is and how it works. And take hate out. You see, don't even don't even talk about hate. That's weakness. I mean, you think about, you know, black men playing football or basketball, they took hate into the situation as opposed to what skills do I need? What knowledge of the game, what knowledge of moves do I need to be able to defeat the opponent? So I say this yes, is going to work for the next uh, next decade if we have that long. See, black people are being genocided. See, the destruction of the men of a people is genocide. And this is what we see happening. You see, genocide by, I don't know what the system is doing to produce epidemic levels of male effeminization, but that's taking place. See, whether it happens just if you remove enough men out of homes, out of households, so male children just begin to pattern their behavior after their female relatives. Or they see the female relatives getting jobs, and so then it becomes important for them to have long hair and earrings. Whether that's the route or whether it's, I mean, it can be done with chemicals. White people have talked about having chemicals that can make an opposing army, the males in the opposing army, start wanting to have sex with each other. But we do have epidemic levels of effeminization of black males. You know, so at Morehouse College, the president has to say no high heel shoes. Pocketbooks and dresses. See, this is profound. This is very deep and very profound. And why do you think, as a people, there's a reluctance not to look at it? Well, again, because uh, we're not really facing the reality of racism, you know? You can see, you can conduct a survey tomorrow, run the next you know, 10 black people that you uh, meet, you know, friends, family members. You can say, do you want, let's, you know, let's spend the next 30 minutes talking about racism, white supremacy. See, and you're not going to criticize them. You just, you know, you just want the objective data. White people do not want black people to talk about racism, and so black people don't talk about racism. And this is why, you know, programs such as yours where 
you will have somebody come on and talk about racism, you're doing something that's very important. It's like helping people deal with reality. One of the things we were told training in psychiatry, the role of the psychiatrist is to help people face reality even when they're afraid to do so. Because we can't function without dealing, you know, we can't function effectively without dealing with reality. Right. With respect to the callers on the line, um, I have a sister next to me, and I want to ask Red and Blue, is it all right if the sister asks a question? Yes, please do. All right. We need to hear from the sisters. Hi, this is Shy. Hello. I had a question. Greetings. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me on. I had a question. I'm thinking about, you know, society currently. There's a lot of single mothers out there. There's a lot of children, you know, being raised by grandma and auntie and mom or any any mother figure, you know. Um, and how can single women raise their sons, you know, and be mindful of that missing link, that masculine energy that, that should be there? Um, you know, we can't, you know, a lot of women can't escape the fact that there is no man currently around. Um, and, you know, depending on your family situations, um, how can you, you know, basically fulfill that balance, that missing balance? Well, we have to step forward without uh, criticism and understand, for example, if I could wave a magic wand, my magic wand wish would be that no black people have sex until they're married. See, no matter how fabulous a person thinks sex is. And I say that when people play with sex, the joke is on the offspring. In contrast to if we really understood what we were doing as a people and we understood racism and what was happening to us, then we would understand the importance of fathers being present for male and female children, but particularly males, because no matter how well-intended a woman is, she can't teach a male how to be a male. And male children without fathers are fearful, and that's why they get into gangs because they they don't feel the mother can you know the mother child can be eleven years old and five feet nine, and the mother is five feet six. She can't protect him from what he has to encounter on the street, and so without even doing a conscious calculation well, let me get in a gang and maybe the gang can protect me. This, All of this is phenomenon under the system of racism, white supremacy. And so let's say if we really understood, see, this is a war. Racism is a war going on against black people. But we haven't recognized it for what it is. But it is a war. It's a war of annihilation. And so if we understood that, then black people would take having sex very seriously and know what context it belongs in, that this is building another generation 
And if a war is going on, then people have to be prepared to function effectively in the war. And so, see, the culture, I mean, it's like, you know, take scandal. This is a black woman playing with sex with white men. Or better still, white men playing with sex with a black woman. And you got clubs of black women that are looking at this and thinking this is fun and cute. Mm -hmm. Do you see? But it's like, let's say if we were fully conscious and fully self-respecting as a people so we understood in depth exactly what is happening to us, and so black people would know that you don't play with sex anymore than people on a battlefield in Afghanistan are playing with sex. See, nobody jumps out of a foxhole or behind a barrier and says, I got to get some. <laughs> no. Mm. Do you see? No, a war mm. is going on. And so if we understood the scope of the war, the dimension of the war, and so black people would be really taking themselves seriously. See, sex is a way that you really express the highest level of what you think about yourself because you are engaged in reproducing yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, act second only to God. Mm-hmm. You see, mm-hmm. so we would ha- we would understand that and have that in place, and people wouldn't even be plain about it. You just know, no, this is this is some of the most serious activity that we mm-hmm. can engage in because it has to do with preserving and developing ourselves and prosecuting the war that is being waged against us. And Mm -hmm. so then the people would know, no, you have to, you know, like I've said, I used to say 30 and 35, no more than two, no closer together than three years apart. But married, married. See, in the old days when a man would have to get on his knees and propose to a woman, and he was saying simultaneously, I have myself together as a male. Mm. You see, I have a job, I have an income, I am ready to take care of a wife and offspring. Mm -hmm. And so then the man commits himself as opposed to where white supremacy has left us and, you know, basically left us in a replica of on the plantation where we were just breeding. Mm. We were forced into breeding to make other slaves, to Mm -hmm. be sold away from the parents. Mm. And so we have a variation on the thing with foster care, now because it's just you know we have to embrace ourselves with love and respect because we just didn't understand and so when the man commits says I am ready he has to get on his knees and he has to put an engagement ring or wedding ring on the woman he is simply saying I'm ready which is quite different than a male and a female getting in bed having sex and they feel they're in love and then a few months later, she says, I'm pregnant. Mm. 
and the man is no more ready. You know, black man under racism, white supremacy, where the system has said, I'm going to make mm-hmm. it hellishly difficult for you to get a job. Mm-hmm. And so when the woman says, I'm pregnant and I'm not going to have an abortion, she becomes the ugliest thing he's ever seen, only because he's shocked and he doesn't have the wherewithal to function as a husband and a father. And so that turns into anger. And then he mm-hmm. becomes the ugliest thing she's ever seen. Mm-hmm. And the baby comes, and they both hate the baby. Mm-hmm. Do you see? So we just have to embrace ourselves with understanding and say this is fascinating. See, I tell patients in my office, don't say you're stupid. Don't say you're crazy. You just say, this is interesting. Never thought about it this way. It's Mm -hmm. fascinating. But this is what we, as a people, have to begin to understand. See, you talk about terrorism. This is racism, white supremacy is extreme terrorism. Mm Mm-hmm that we are being made to deny that it exists and to laugh and joke about it. Yeah. And so it's just a question of of beginning to understand and writing uh, new rules for ourselves based on our understanding of what we're dealing with, males and females respecting themselves and respecting each other. Like I tell people, that, uh, you know, it's a lot of so-called misogyny in the rap and in the hip-hop. Negative attitudes towards women. But this only comes about in a system of oppression where people are really being made to hate themselves. I'm a female. Mm -hmm. 50% of my genetic makeup comes from my mother, 50% from my father. So if I, as a black female, said I hated black men, my self-respect score could only at max be 50, and 50 is not passing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. For any person to respect themselves, they have to respect part of my genetic makeup comes from my mother, part from my father. So if I say I don't, if I'm a male and I say I don't respect women, my self-respect score can only be 50 at max. I mean, it may be 10, but it's not passing. Mm-hmm. But we just need to say this is interesting, this is fascinating. What has happened? What has the system of racism, white supremacy been able to do to us? We didn't understand it. So when you didn't understand something, fine. You know, that's like a student taking an exam and you fail the exam. Don't ball up the paper. Just say, let me find out. Let me go and talk to the instructor and find out what is it that I don't understand. Where did I make my mistakes? In respecting myself, I can learn this. See, I don't have any doubt. Can black people master an understanding of racism, white supremacy? Absolutely. But we're not going to move forward from this point 
unless we do, because white supremacy, you know, the white people are not reproducing themselves all over Europe, wherever the white people are, they're in crisis. But they may be in crisis, but they're not weak. They have all the weapons that they need. See, they can come out, you know, come out with Ebola and kill tens of thousands of people on the continent of Africa. I was looking at the paper today. They got another virus they're talking about. Pretending that they don't know where they come from. See, HIV, AIDS is a virus, biological warfare, until proven otherwise. Ebola is biological warfare until proven otherwise. Because what? They make biological warfare weapons. So who do they make them for? (laughs) Yeah. I just want to say, you know, throughout everything that has occurred through life, we're still here. And I, I, I feel good about that. I feel good about that. We're still See, here. But you can't rest on that. Yeah. You cannot rest on that. Ask the Native Americans. Mm. They're still here, but look at the shape that they're in. Mm. I hear that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. For your question and your input, go on and give them the uh, the information about Sunday again one more time, boo. Yes, absolutely. Sunday, March first, twenty fifteen, at two p.m. Okay, Harlem, New York, one hundred four dash one hundred six, one twenty six Street. That is between Lexington and Park Avenue at the Tamaray Temple Suite One A. All right is where you can find Dr. Frances Cress Wilson. She will be in the building, all right, doing the her lecture, her presentation entitled The System of Racism, White Supremacy, and a Scientific Black Agenda. All right, family, I have about two more callers I'm going to take. 347-637-2135 is the number that you need to call. Any questions, comments, or concerns, I do have uh, a fair enough number of hands up in the call queue that I'm going to take about two more callers, though, so we can let the doctor get her rest. Yes, indeed. I do understand, okay? So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, let us be courteous, not only to the doctors, but to the other callers in the queue that got to get it in as well. Let's go to the caller from the... All right, let me do this. Let's go to 704... 704-910. understand we have a special guest in the building. Caller from the 704-910 number. Peace. All right. To the 708-708-422. Seven oh eight four twenty two piece. Well finally I don't believe it. <laughs> Greetings. Yes. And how you doing there, Brother Red, Brother Blue? This is Dr. Blair. How are you? Uh Greetings all as well, Dr. Blair. Peace. Hey man, 
It's been a very rough last year and it'll be very rough beginning of this year again. In respect, again, and uh, deference to you, Dr. Welsing, I was trying to reach the brothers earlier today, and I guess I was not successful. There's been a lot happening in my life. Uh, I was not shocked, but pleasantly surprised to listen to you for about the last hour. And, of course, I don't think our paths have crossed directly, but they have indirectly for over 40 years. Um, I wanted to tap into that vast audience, of course, that Red and Blue both appealed to because of some things that I was doing. But, of course, your name is synonymous with the uplifting of black people, and I do respect you for that. And as I listened intently and various things you said, I said, oh, wow, I wish I could comment on that. But it's getting near the end of the show, and, of course, it is your show. So let me just say this again. Uh, Fluoridation induces a homosexuality. And the family structure has changed now based on um, what they call homosexuality in general. That we could talk about forever. I'm very much into fluoride, the sprays, uplifting, and there's things that are in there, too. But just let me say this, and again, and please, again, I respect you. I just didn't know who to guess well as I really wanted to just get into that audience that they have. Uh, so how, do, how can I go about doing this? Can I give a plug to this now, Red and Blue? And also, please understand, because I know you wanted to sign off with Dr. Welsing. So you tell me how I can go from here. Um, would you would you have an announcement to make? Yes, I had a conference tomorrow. Should I do that now, or didn't wait until she leaves? Or um, yeah, let's let's hold on for a second. Um, I want to bring in, let me bring in another caller with a question, and once she signs off, I'll allow you to make the announcement. You know, Thank out you. of respect to her Thank time. Sorry, it wasn't the way I planned it. Okay. So you could put your phone on mute. I won't mute you out. You put your phone on mute and we'll bring you in. How do I do mute? um, She signs off. How do I do mute? Whatever mute button is on your phone. Okay. Okay. Or you could just hang on, you know what I'm saying? And and, um, all right. It's like I said. Yeah. Okay. I got you. All right, let's go to a caller from the 410-595. 410-caller-595. Your line should be open at any any second now. Just getting this cursor together. All right, give me one second. My blog is refreshing itself. I'm just waiting on this page. It's refreshing on its own. I can do it from where I'm at. If you can do it from where you're at, please, please do. Because, you know, my page just, just went into it's doing its own thing. Okay, what number? 410 Okay, give me one second. Indeed. Yes, here we go. All right, call from the 410 Peace and welcome to No Love Radio. Yeah, this is Rock Cool. Peace, everybody. 
I um hey, I wanted to let I wanted to let the doctor know that um she's a pillar in the community and she's still with us and that is just the greatest thing in the world. Um I had a whole lot of accolades I could drop on you, Doc, but I really wanted to know, um, have you heard of uh Doctor Umar Johnson and his and his mission to build a new school and and if you have heard about that, what do you think about that as a contribution to her? I think that all the ideas uh, that black people have about uh, wanting to help, uh, that you know, those are positive ideas. Okay. Well, I mean, other than that, I um, I, I could pour it on, but I really want to keep it short. You know, you did open my head up to looking at human behavioralism and um, the way you've diagnosed the mind of the oppressor and the, the oppressed together has been, like, really um, enlightening for us all, I'm sure, you know. And if you have any material that you have stuffed away, don't let it uh, uh, get away from us, Mama. Please give it to us, <laughs> you know. Any more books, any more research, any more discoveries, please. You know, don't hold on nothing. Well, thank you for your call. You're welcome. Thank you. And I'm going to have to sign Indeed. off. <laughs> well, thank you Indeed. for having me. And, uh, and thank you for having us. I hope I've shared some things Absolutely. that... Uh, can be helpful, and if so, each one teach one. You have shared more than enough. You know, um, you've given us with full sustenance uh, from the information that you have bestowed on us, not only tonight, but your many contributions that you have made throughout your um, historic time here on this planet. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. We're putting the call out for everyone else to join us in this great endeavor to come forward and see you. Also in Atlanta in May, when you're there with Professor Griff, family is also being called out to come and see you at the uh, at the Divine Goddess Conference. And um, we will continue to not only support you and spread the information pertaining to your wonderful work, but carrying on the mission, like you said, to... Um, arrive at this justice that we all deserve and we all need as a human family that, um, you know, has but so much time on this clock. So. Well, thank you very much and continue your work. I mean, it, what you're doing is very, very, very important. And it, Indeed, we will. We thank you. All right. Good night now. Good night. Good night. Wow. The mother. Yes, Dr. Blair. Yes, am I here? Yes, you are here. We are with you. Oh, great, Elder. Welcome back. It's been a minute. I've been thinking about you. um, So it's very good to hear from you. I haven't talked to you this year at all, have I? Hmm? Haven't, talked to you, haven't talked to you this year at all. That's for sure. No, you haven't. I, yes, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a very interesting thing. A lot of things I'm doing. But either way, as I said, I, I didn't know who your guest was. And obviously, again, I have extreme respect for Dr. Francis Cress Weldon. Who doesn't? Uh,
Hello? Peace, hello? Yeah, I'm here. Ooh. I think his line dropped. I mean, his line. All right, give me one second. Peace, Dr. Blair, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, yes, we can. Your your line went mute for a second, but you're still with us. Yeah, I wouldn't Our doubt prayers that. have been answered. Yes. Please okay, continue. I wouldn't that. Anyway, tomorrow I'm doing a telephone conference. Everything's by telephone. It's got nothing to do with the computer. And it's from 2.15 to 4.15. Uh, it ends Black History Month. And because of that, I'm going over a summation of the black presidents, the black kings and queens, uh, the black flyers in history again, many of the tidbits, over a hundred of them that people don't even understand about that, uh, the black um, inventions that were there, and, of course, the thing that I did uh, with the uh, Honorable Minister Farrakhan uh, at a tribute at the final call, which is an hour's tape also, which we're repeating. It covers pretty much the gamut of history, and you know I go back in history all the way millions of years and can prove it. So anyhow, I wanted your audience to at least hear it. Uh, it's local, and if I can give out the phone number and the um, the website and host for those who would want to hear it can switch over and do so. And I thank you again. I tried Please to reach do. you guys yes. earlier today, but I guess it wasn't to any avail, so I thank you for letting me squeeze in. I have a lot of people that know me out in the East Coast, and I did want them to know about it. So may I give that information now? Please do, yes. Yeah. All right. The phone number, first of all, is 708-422-6685, 708-422-6685. The website is www.themetacenter, you push the number 2.com. That's www.themetacenter, you push 2, don't type it in, because when you type it in and you type in my name, you get YouTube. And as you know, I'm at 38 sites all over YouTube. Everybody steals from it. I don't get a thing from it. But other than that, you go to my website again. And once you go there, of course, you can then become a part of the conference there tomorrow. And it is going to cover a heck of a lot of territory, as I submitted to say, that whole thing on black history. And that gets in from the pyramid builders to the mound builders to the people on the moon to the people inside the earth as I say, to the black historians again, all the inventions and all the black presidents and why, and it just goes on and on and on. So I do thank you very much for letting me get that plug in. I do hope some of your audience that does know me or does re- do remember me will tune into that too. And I think I'll be seeing you down in Atlanta. There are also some invitations I've had. But I had to take a back place because they were trying to get my home, and then they tried to put me in the hospital again. So I had to back out. So now I'm back again fighting as usual. So that's the reason. And hopefully, again, you, I appreciate your deference in letting me get this plug again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As long as we have a platform, you know, you're welcome to share whatever is necessary for you to share to reach the people. And it's good to hear from you, as always. Um, it brings comfort to our heart to know that all is well. Thank you so very much. And it brings up to my heart to know you're still in there doing what you do. And there's still always hope for those people, again, who are astute enough and spiritual enough to realize what time it is. And thank you for letting me borrow your audience. In the audience, we do hope that you'll join with me tomorrow. And I hope your conference there in Florida is good. I'm not anywhere near Florida, but I'm sure it will be. And let's keep in touch if you don't mind. Yes, indeed, we will. Okay. Thank you.
Appreciate it. Indeed. Peace. All right. Before we check out, let me open up the line and bring my bedroom on from the 213. Call her from the 213-804 while we have the line open. Peace, my Lord. Yeah, big up to the family and nations, man. Well, go on, everybody, and big up Dr. Francis Crest Wilson with the bill tonight, man. Deep, deep, and insightful. I wish I yes, saw being early. I just didn't want to. It's too late now. I just didn't want to ask her a question, and um, and when she was talking about how the mind them, you know, back in the day used to bow to the woman and you know propose for the marriage, but that also came with a dowry. You understand me? And there's been a lot placed on the man, but that whole dowry aspect has been left out where the woman was worshipped and presented with a dowry so that the man's value was equivalent to the worth of the woman so that the balance was in. And a lot of time there's been so much of a a burden just placed on the male aspect of that situation where the other aspect of the thought hadn't been brought out and I was just gonna ask her to address the issue of the dowry in reference to that phenomenon of marriage as a metaphor for unifying the family back to keep the balance sort of correct. And another thing I thought was important that she was expressing to the people that um is really important is she expressed that white supremacy is only five hundred years old. And people try and carry Mm -hmm. that all the way back to the Greeks and this and that. And not saying that there wasn't another system of oppression going on then that had something to do with the Eurasian, you know, coming into Kemet and other parts of the mother continent um, for knowledge itself and whatnot. But the actual system is a 500-year-old system that is a product and the source of the narrative that they've given us to live out. And seeing we're living in the narrative of white supremacy, the Jesus narrative, the structure of them as God, superior to everyone else, was imposed upon us as um, um, the base source of their narrative. And see, if we don't understand that, then we go into their narrative and we play the boogeyman or we play a... um, a side character or or some sort of victimized spirit in that narrative. So I thought it was really important how she emphasized it was a 500-year-old system. So it's not that old in reference to our time on earth, our construction, our our historical presence. So thereby its power is limited within that, that period scope. And we need to realize that so that it can be defeated. It's not something that is impervious to to attack. You understand, especially if we um, recognize that it, it's actually limited. It's a finite perspective, a time, and it comes out of finite perception of reality. So in and of itself, it has a limited amount of time on earth. And we need to, and I think that's one crucial point to her work in, in recognizing the time spectrum of the system of white supremacy, thereby you don't get into the illusion that it's some monolithic um, thing that's been here forever. And then the other thing, I don't know, mm-hmm. I sent you a text. I don't know if you got it. I wanted to comment that 
on the sentence that Hollywood is operating off of with the black community that if you take the four popular um, dramas that they've released, um, being um, Scandal, being um, How to Get Away with Murder, the sitcom Blackish, and um, The Empire, you can put those in a simple sentence as um, the scandal is how to get away with murder in the blackish empire. And mm. and I wanted to just add that yeah. to the dynamics of what um, was going on. But other than that, man, everything was on point. And I'm going to make it over to the Warriors Conference tomorrow in Tampa. So if people want to know who I am, I'll be out there, and I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to check the blue if you're going to yeah. be down there. I'm going to call you. Yeah, I'm going to call you on that so we could definitely link up, y'all. All right, that's yeah, at the Genesis right. Sports Bar and Grill, Family 1213 West Waters Avenue, Tampa, Florida, 33604. All right, doors open at 12 p.m., Sarasota City, uh, our brother, Professor Griff, Irritated Genie, um, Dr. Baruti, and his fabulous wife will be in the building. My brother, Tahir RBG, Tate Black. Shout out to um, Bomani, Unify Front. They're going to be in the building. You know what I'm saying? The family's going to be in the building, so let's see what's going on with the Florida family, the Florida vibe. A lot's going down out here in FLA. You know what I'm saying? So let's see, you know, how this conversation that was started here t- tonight spills over into this conversation that the Warriors are going to have tomorrow. And um, for the family that's up in in wild Sunday, go out and see the sister. When you finish seeing her, go to Brooklyn and see the Hebrew Israelites at Nicholas, Brooklyn. All right? They're going to be doing anything starting at 7 p.m. Um, out in California, Los Angeles, on Sunday, March 1st, Dr. Sabi and our brother Polite, as well as our brother Ramsey Shine, they're going to be doing their thing at the El Rey Theater, okay? So it's jam-packed activities, man, as we move into the spring, you know what I'm saying, in these warmer months that we start turning this thing up. You heard? So I'm, I'm going to call you, my brother, in a little while. We're going to kick it, all right? Yeah, man. Peace to the family and nations, man. Big up for putting me on my respect. Yes. You don't know. You don't know. Indeed. All right, family. Love and light. Uh, Brother Red. Okay. His line dropped, I think. Cool. All right. I know that he's wanted to leave it on a high note. A few other times he's tried to rinse his track. I think that it's most appropriate tonight that we get into this track. Black of the Berry from Kendrick Lamar all day. All day. Chill. Peace, love, and light. You know what I'm saying? And um, we want to head up the queen and just send her all positive energy, all salutations necessary for what she came through and did here this evening. I think that she gave us like the uh, addendum to the book. You know what I'm saying? She gave us the audio book tonight. So let's show our appreciation and just do as ever in our possibility to spread this information. You know what I'm saying? It's not about um, getting caught up in, 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 in the messenger as much as it is about embracing the message, spreading the message to those that we love. You know what I'm saying? Putting these new uh, glasses on to see 
this perspective that's right outside of our front door so we could deal with it properly. All right? Love y'all. We'll see you next episode. Fuck you, no fuck y'all That's as blunt as it gets I know you hate me, don't you? You hate my people
I can tell cause it's stress when I see you I can tell cause your waist is equal No, I can tell because you in love with the death eagle Thinking maliciously, each of the chains and you gon' bleed them It's funny how Zulu and Dosa might go to war Two tribal armies that wanna build and destroy Remind me of these Compton Crip gangs that live next door Beefing with power rules, only death settled the score So no matter how much I say I like to preach with the Panthers Or tell Georgia State Marcus Garvey got all the answers Or try to celebrate February like it's my B-Day Or eat watermelon chicken and Kool-Aid on weekdays Or jump high enough to get Michael Jordan endorsements Or watch BT cause urban support is important So why did I weep when Trayvon Martin was in the street When gang banging make me kill a nigga blacker than me Hypocrite Oh, <laughs> 